Sliwa. The language used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases, and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics. And a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on WABCRadio.com. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Goodbye, Bernard Adams. Goodbye, brother of Eric Adams. Swagger man with no plan. Head of his security details. You remember he was parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth University. A car parker. Oh, yeah. He's gone. He's left. He's gone back to parking cars. At the University of Virginia Commonwealth, Bernard, you only lasted one year, my man, just couldn't stay till the break of dawn, he said, yo, Eric, yo, Eric, my brother, my older brother, I can't be at the Club Zero Bar till the break of dawn, I need some sleep, I need some sleep. And so Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who made such a big deal about making his younger brother Bernard the head of his security detail, remember saying, my God, I need protection from white supremacists. You know, and in this national day of hate that turned out to be an absolute nonsensical day. Oh, yeah, yeah, the white supremacists, uh, the racists were out there. Yeah, I saw the neo-Nazis, the anti-Semites, bull feathers. 
And then I saw cops from the 17th Precinct racing around, racing around earlier today. And I said, after coming out of the studios, where I appeared, as I do every Saturday afternoon, 3 to 4, with Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly on the right. I said, officers, well, what's the be? Oh, well, you know, this has been declared by extremist groups a national day of hate. I said, so what does that mean? Oh, we get triple overtime today. We're rolling around the streets. We're looking for people in white sheets, in clan, the clan plan. I said, who's telling you this? Oh, there was a memo issued by the NYPD. We got to be vigilant. They're going to be attacking Jews. They're going to be attacking blacks. They're going to be attacking people of color. They're going to be attacking gays and lesbians and non-binary peoples. And I said, now, give me that again. I said, don't you think it's like the normal kind of crime that you should be focused on? The beatings, the rapes, the assaults, the shootings, the stabbings, the sort of day-to-day violent crime. He said, no, no, we have a special memo here from the uh, the police commissioner, Sewell. And I said, well, okay, could you share that with me? Absolutely. We know that there are white supremacists out there who secretly, nefariously, under the radar screen, have declared Saturday a national day of hate. And we've got to be out at every shul, at every synagogue, at every church. we got to follow every black person to make sure no white people are attacking them. I said, really? This is this is what it's gotten down to? And there were rallies all over the city. Politicians love that. Oh, they love having a press conference. We're not a city of hate. If you're a hater, get out of here. And ladies and gentlemen, what was this the result of? Think about that. This was the result of what? Four kukulamungas, four crackers, four neo-Nazis, four uh, Klansmen coming up from Ocala, Florida, you know, where they must have left a Klan rally. And they were protesting out some outside some kind of play. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, what play was that? Where they stood there giving out leaflets, telling the Jews, we're going to get you if it's the last thing we do. And then the very next night, who got up on the stage and he said, we're not a city of hate. We're going to fight them. Go back to where you're from, Ocala, where all those racists and white supremacies are birthed. I'm saying to myself, oh, yeah, you love this to distract. You love this to distract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today was declared a national day of hate. What group are they talking about? I don't believe any of that. I don't trust these politicians. I believe they will do anything to distract us from the day-to-day problems that they're not resolving. So here they were, in solidarity, arm in arm. They were swaying, singing, kumbaya. You won't come into our, our city and promote hate. Oh, but you can come in and rape and rob and savage and stab and shoot. And you can go in and bust up a jewelry shop and beat up old people and leave them to the point where they're almost dead. You can do all of that. But don't come in here. As a member of a hate group and think you are going to disrupt our way of life because we are in solidarity. Did you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Can anybody tell me? What the hell are they talking about? Please, desperately, I think I've got my finger on the pulse of this city and the surrounding suburbs. What are they talking about? Why? The four 
for these hillbillies showed up outside a play on Broadway. They, hey, we hate Jews. Why did they go? Hot shoe. Oh, my God. Quick. Triple overtime. Oh, the cops loved it, right? Sarge, what are we looking for? White supremacists. Sarge, there really are not white supremacists here in the city of New Don't argue. This is orders from headquarters. This is from Sewell. We must protect the Jews. We must protect the blacks. We must protect people of color. We must protect gays and lesbians and non-binary. Because they have declared this a day of hate. Who are they? You're asking too many questions. Let's go out there and patrol. You're getting overtime, so shut up and enjoy it. Are there any police out there who can explain to me this memo that was read to me? Hush, hush, mush, mush. It made absolutely no sense. From the pen of Police Commissioner Sewell. Yeah, yeah, Sewell. Farewell, Sewell. She's out there in Long Island refusing to come in and live in New York City as contractually she was obliged to do after six months being appointed police commissioner by Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. When she was asked, you know, it's over a year, are you going to move into the city? What do you think, I'm stupid? It's too dangerous in the city. But you're the police commissioner. I don't have to do anything. They need me. I'm the face of the police department. Oh, my God, are we in trouble. Yeah, let's hear that. Bernard Adams is gone. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Please, ladies and gentlemen, I have vertigo here. I can't figure out what the hell is going on. I thought we got to deal with shoplifters, boosters. I thought we have to deal with the emotionally disturbed persons in danger to themselves and everyone else. And what color are they predominantly? Black. Uh, hey. Why destroy something so good as joining in solidarity against a national day of hate was, was declared by extremist groups? Excuse me, officer, what extremist groups? You asked too many questions, Curtis. Could you get to find, like, one, like, maybe, say, the Klan or something? Uh, you asked too many questions. Come on, don't destroy your good thing. This allows politicians to act like they're really doing something. That's right, we sent the police officers out there. This way, when you go to shul and synagogue and you're daven with Rabbi Joe Potashnik, you're safe and secure. What about reviving the JDL every Jew or 22 and you don't have to depend on the police or Gentiles or anyone else, right? They don't depend on that in Israel. But here, oh, oh my God, they threatened us. Oh, Jewish man, we've lost our testicles, onions. We need the NYPD. What the hell was that? What, 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 what did we become? Kumbaya, kumbaya. Hey, 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 goodbye. Na, na, na. All right, let's get down to brass tacks here. Broadway Bill Lee on loan from WCBS. I realize you're not used to these kind of antics over there, everything in complete control. I know you're looking at me like I'm wigging out. 
Avery asked me before we even started the show, you okay? Don't worry about me, Avery. I'm fine. I just can't understand. I'm running around the streets. I see 10,000 cops. What are you doing? You know, it's a national day of hate. Who are the haters? They're out there. Who? Do you, do you have a profile? Do you have any documentation? Do you have any photos you could share? I got guardian angels all over the city. We'd be more than how help you catch these haters in action. Who are they? You ask too many questions. Why? You got double overtime, triple overtime, and you don't care? It's light duty? Because you don't have to go in to a jewelry shop where smash and grab is taking place and they're pulling out toolies and shooting guns? Who are you looking for? Haters. Who are they? They're from Florida. Well, can you define who they Yeah, they were outside some play. What play were they outside? Can anybody out there... Describe to me what was that play about that has become the most famous play ever in the history of Broadway. Forget Les Miserables. Hey, I need my music here, Broadway Billy. What do you think you're working with any okie-dokie here? Talk show host to hostess. I need my music here because I'm celebrating. I'm dancing the horror, the tarantella, because the brother of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan has decided to go back to parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth College, where he originally was plucked. And Eric Adams said before everybody, you don't understand. My brother knows me. He can protect me from who? The white supremacist. So you know what I did? You know what I did, Broadway Bill Lee? And you remember, Avery, I went for a whole week to Bed Bath & Beyond at Columbus Circle, and I'll never get that week back. And I stood in that white sheet, white pillowcase aisle, and I figured since they were on sale, if there were white supremacists in the city of New York, a danger to people of color, a danger to Jews, that they'd be taking advantage of that white sheet, white pillowcase sale at Bed Bath & Beyond. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And all of a sudden, the people who were employed there came up, Curtis, Curtis, what's the problem? I say, I'm here to protect you. From who? White supremacists. Where? You never know. You never know. Because you have a sale on white sheets and white pillow covers, I figured if there are any white supremacists in the five boroughs of New York City that we should be concerned with, they're going to emerge. They're going to take advantage of your generosity, this sale of all sales before you go out of business. Yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond is going out of business because white supremacists are scared to go in there and buy their white sheets on sale. My brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, Number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security in a very serious way. What? What hate crimes? Against Asians? Yes. Against Jews? Yes. Is it being committed by white people? No! Our number is 1-800-848-9222. 
It was a day of hate, ladies and gentlemen. I know you were schwitzing out there. You were a person of color. If you happen to be a Jew, oh, my God, you were hiding under your Castro convertible. It was like Good Friday, you know, when all of a sudden you're, you're afraid that that Catholics and Christians are going to have flashbacks and all of a sudden they're going to be hunting for you and it's going to be a pogrom, right? Come on, would you knock this crap off? Really? A day of hate? Who? When I ask questions, 70 precinct. Did I see that memo that it was issued by the police commissioner of New York, Sewell? Well, Curtis, please, don't, don't ever say that I gave it to you. Well, I just ratted them out at the 17th precinct, right, Broadway Billy? I saw the memo. It said because of warnings from extremist groups all across the country calling for a national day of hate, we are going to allow for triple overtime. That's right, platinum time. Every synagogue, every shul, every church. Every person of color, every Jew will be shadowed by a member of the NYPD. What about the rest of us? Tough noogies. You don't fit in on a national day of hate. Go home and wait it out. Who are these people they're talking about? I notice now one person is going to be able to tell me, what was this play that they were protesting outside of for these hillbillies from Ocala, Florida, you know, with, like, little Nazi swastikas on their forehead, like Charlie Manson, remember? I mean, total loons, total crazy people, but, oh, you know, like, remember Westboro, the Baptist church in Kansas, those crazy people would show up when servicemen would be brought home after uh, getting killed in the line of duty, and they would they would curse them, they would, would scream at them, they would go to the wakes, they would go to the funeral masses, and people would say, oh, my God, Westboro Baptist Church is coming in from Kansas, the heartland of America. What the hell are we talking about here? Have we become so feckless, so weak, so soft? Are Jews incapable of taking care of yourself? What happened the days of Maya Kahani? Every Jew were 22. Now, NYPD, please. This is we can't protect our shuls and synagogues. And then, of course, there were the uh, various congregations out there. They were the Pentecostals and Roman Catholics saying, yeah, and they're targeting us, too. We need the NYPD to protect us, too. How about protecting yourselves, huh? How about stand? Stand and deliver a counterpunch. How about take a stand and stop being weak and feckless and folding like a cheap camera and showing fear? If I happen to be Broadway Bill Lee, one of these hillbillies in Ocala there, you know, drinking my corn squeezings and watching this on TV. I, hey, Jill, there's only four of us. Look at him. I went to New York, figured I could go to a dentist and get me some teeth. Stop. Stop at that dollar store on the way up there. Waffle House. Look at him, man. They're all afraid of us from Ocala. What the hell? First of all, what was that play? What was that protest? that had every camera that had ever been created in the history of media, and then ascending on stage before the next night's performance was our own Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. And he looked out at the audience and he said, We are not a city of hate. Oh, yes, we are. People hate to work, right? They hate to use the subways. 
They hate to have to pass an emotionally disturbed person and wonder why the hell aren't we taking care of these people, right? They hate when all of a sudden you're walking your dog and your dog cops a spot and drops some poop on the ground and you don't clean up that poop, right? You hate them, don't you? Some of you hate those pigeons, right? You look at pigeons and you hate them and then you hate Curtis and you hate Nancy because they feed the pigeon. We're a city of haters. All of a sudden, you're a yellow cab driver. You're driving around, and you see another yellow cab driver, and you recognize him from your country of origin, and you say, Bengali dog, Bengali dog, and you wonder, what the hell are they talking about? It's a city of haters. When you go on the subway, the minute Broadway, Billy, do you go up and start hugging people, homeless people, emotionally disturbed people? No, no, you don't. You're on guard, aren't you? You're hating that. You're stuck in a subway car, and the smell is asphyxiating. You can't get out of that car. You said, why is this man having to defecate and urinate on himself? And I just got ripped off for $2.75 to ride the subway. You think you're happy then? Ladies and gentlemen, are you happy when you come across the Verrazano Bridge? And they clip you, and you need a reverse mortgage and a payday loan to pay just the tolls alone. Are you happy, ladies and gentlemen, when you went for your dollar pizza, and you now see it's a buck fifty? Oh, tell me you're happy, right? It's a city of haters, because there's a lot to hate. But stop the nonsense that every Jew, every person of color, every gay, every lesbian, every non-binary, every transgender, even George Santos... It's under threat of annihilation. See, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring people together because you see, understand this, without Bernard Adams to protect us and protect the mayor, how can we carry on? I remember the words of the mayor early on when people said, your brother is not qualified. He was parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth University. Why you want to pay him $240,000 to become a deputy police commissioner to protect your tokus? And remember what he said. He said... Hey, but let me be clear on this. Uh, my brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security in a very serious way. Try white supremacists. Where are they? I've been looking. I've been looking all day in every nook, cranny, and corner. I've been saying, hey, white, white supremacists, white haters, where are you? Come on out. Fight me like a man. People are looking at me as, you're crazy. I said, wait, I was told there's white supremacists around. And they're a threat to Jews and blacks and people of color. And today was the day they were going to launch it all. They were going to bring it to us. And I was ready there. Somebody I couldn't find them. Anybody find them out there? Ladies and gentlemen, I looked hard. I tried to assist the police. I tried to do my civic duty. I even went, yes. I went back to Bed Bath & Beyond in Columbus Circle just days before they closed for the final time because they're going bankrupt. And I said, for good old time's sake, I'll do one last patrol in the aisles. Because, yes, everything was on sale. Not just Broadway Billy, the white sheets, the white pillow covers. Everything white was on sale. But I couldn't find a white supremacist. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Where were they today? Were they hiding? Did they just pull our chain and fool us? I saw press conference after press conference. Democrats and Republicans standing in solidarity. Not to resolve our problems, but to say we're not a city of hate. Oh, yes, we are. We hate a lot of things. In fact, one thing I've determined, uh, Avery, is that we hate our politicians. Yeah, Democrats and Republicans, because they lie, they lie, they lie. We hate them, don't we? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me ask this question going back to yesterday. Not one person asked this. The inimitable scholar, jurist himself, the judge, uh, Richard Weinberg, heard every night on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, Monday through Fridays, with our own John Katsimatidis. And yes... In just a few hours, the Long Island Report, when I get off the air from 6 to 7. <sighs> and he made a statement, don't trust the Chinese as far as you can throw them. I wouldn't trust uh, China as far as I can throw them. And then uh, weighing in on that, in solidarity, like uh, Heckle and Jekyll, like uh, Ebony and Ivory, was... Uh, my husband-in-law, yes, your former governor, <sighs> Patterson. But I couldn't agree more with Judge Weinberg that China is playing games. I asked a simple question yesterday, not one answer. You must have all been in solitude, sleep, or hiding from the, the engineers of hate on what was supposed to be a day of hate by white supremacists. What does... Yeah, I don't trust the Chinese as far as I can throw them. Well, how many times have we heard that phrase? I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. It could apply to anybody. And then I heard a lot today. You know, those white supremacists, they're on the lamb. What does that mean, they're on the lamb? Does that mean like a leg of lamb, loin lamb chops? What do they mean when you're on the lamb? They said... Oh, yeah, the white supremacists, you know, those hillbillies from Ocala, the ones who are outside of that play, all four of them with no teeth, all four of them, you know, that Nazi swastikas on their forehead like Charlie Manson. They were on the lamb. What does that mean, on the lamb? We use these phrases, these statements, like parrots. We repeat them over and over again, and I'm asking... Tens of thousands of people, people in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker between the corrupt Bahamas and the uh, sanctuary for the billionaire Michael Bloomberg in Bermuda, who was there every weekend of his mayoralty and said to us, tough nuggies. And then, of course, you can get us clear and concise on the uh, laptop. Oh, man, you can get that Lincoln. Wow. You can hear it, and then on your worktop computer, and of course with the app, you can hear us all over the world crystal clear, except I don't believe on the melting uh, ice of Antarctica. Yes, it's melting, global warming, climate change. Only, only the porpoises, only the penguins, only the seagulls, only the walruses would know for sure, right? I wouldn't and, trust uh, China as far as I can throw them. What the hell do you mean by that? Judge, what do you mean by, you're just repeating something that has been said over and over, and you never stop 
with all of your parchments, your graduate degrees, your law degrees, along with my husband-in-law, David Patterson. But I couldn't agree more with Judge Weinberg. What the hell does that mean? I, I don't understand. I don't trust China as far as I can throw them. You can't throw China anywhere. Think of how stupid that sounds. Our number is one 800 You can come out. It's no longer the day of hate. The day of hate is over. Cowering underneath your Castro convertibles, afraid to come outside, thinking that every person would be wearing a white sheet and a pillowcase over their head, targeting you and saying, are you a Jew? Come here. Hot-choo! Our number is one 800 That's one 800 wabc all night long, this is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Sledge would sing it out there. I'm not a sister. What happened to the brothers here? I, I know we've lost our onions, our testicles, our testosterone lately. Can I hear that song again? What happened to the brothers, man? How do I have less rights than my mother? What about us, men? The Schmendricks with little pitchers. They're telling us now we have to drink Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola in order to lengthen our testicles, to improve our testosterone. God. Outside of every synagogue, every Pentecostal church, every Catholic church, they were singing that song. Yeah, standing up against the haters. The extremists call for Saturday to be a national day of hate. Excuse me, did I miss something? Where did this take place, huh? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen... Let's go to Russell and Rockaway. Your turn to be heard here. WABC, Russell. Hey, Curtis. Uh, listen, I can explain this day of hate in three words. False flag operation. Uh, you know, the FBI and Homeland Security have declared white supremacists the most severe threat to the democracy in the United States. And they can't track 40 yahoos online declaring a day of hate. But what, what, what do you mean, Please. Russell? Four hillbillies from Ocala, Florida with no teeth. Or somehow made their way up. 
and protested outside of a play. Well, what's the name of that play? Everybody's getting all bent on his shit. You see him there? They went up to the Jew and said, are you a Jew? We'll burn you. Yeah, the Jews should have just pounced on that guy and beat the... What the hell is this? We need, we need to be protected. We're so weak. Oh, we're so weak. What the hell happened? What the hell happened to our society? That we need squadrons of police to go rolling up and down the streets. And when I stopped him today and I said, Officer, uh, who are you chasing after? Extremists, white extremists. You know who they are? I'll know who they are when I see them. Why are you looking for them today? Didn't you know? It's the National Day of Hate. They declared this. Who are they? And the cop looked at me and, what do I care? I'm getting triple overtime. It's like Don Quixote, right? Chasing windmills. Where are they? Oh, God. Anyway, let's go to Mike in Manhattan. You're trying to be heard here at WABC, Mike. The name of the play that uh, is on Broadway that you refer to, it's called Parade. It was written and composed by Stephen Sondheim. The same guy worked on uh, A Little Night Music, Sending the Clowns, Into the Woods, Sunday in the Park with George, and uh, he did the words, I believe, for West Side Story. Of course. How could you? I play it every day when we talk about the illegal aliens from 1960, right, when Leonard Bernstein conducting. But, Mike. Not illegal aliens that came from Puerto Rico. Right. Exactly. And nowadays you couldn't even use that terminology. It would be considered politically incorrect. But let me ask you this question, Mike. We got four hillbillies came, came up from Ocala, Florida, right? No teeth. Walking around with swastikas on their head. Yelling at real Jews, perceived Jews, as they were online to go see that play. And then all of a sudden, we're in lockdown on Saturday? What the hell is that? Well, people weren't in lockdown. In fact, uh, the Temple Emmanuel on uh, Fifth Avenue, they actually had their uh, their services outside. Wow, fresco. So nobody was on lockdown. It was just the opposite. So, well, well, like- what's, who, who, would, who was threatening? The story is uh, it was on those encoded uh, 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 chat messages like Reddit and places like that and uh, and like I think like Stormfront that they were talking about. Mike, and, Mike, let me know. ask you a question. Yeah. You, do you trust government? For certain things I do, and obviously some things I don't. All right, I'm not, so you know, I'm not, in, oh, I'd never trust the government. I'm not right, like what I'm in, in, in this lives. in this particular case, wasn't this a great distraction from our day to day problems? I'm not so sure about it. I'm really, I'm really not. Um, I'm not as I'm not as convinced as you are about it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Mike. I spent a whole freaking day running around looking for white supremacists with the guardian angels. Let's see. I went out to the guy who opened up his pizza parlor in Elmhurst. You saw that story. Him and his son who had been stabbed multiple times by a black guy. He opened back up. He's defiant. He said, "Hey, I'm I'm selling pizza. We're going to be talking about pizza later on." Yeah, it wasn't white supremacists who did that. I, I, I was, re- 
I, I, I wanted to do my part as the leader of the guardian angels there. I couldn't find one white supremacist. Avery, have I lost it? And I, you know, I used to be good at what I do. I didn't think. I looked everywhere. I looked on the rocks. I looked in the subway. I walked through Central Park. I saw the owl up there, you know, the owl. Woo! Whipper woo! Could not find not one hater, one white supremacist. Help me, ladies and gentlemen. Please help me. I think I'm losing it. I really um, think I'm losing it. Let's go to Paulie calling from Paramus. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paulie. Curtis, what do you think? Are we going to war with China? Well, well, well why do you think we're going to war with China? All the blues are sending in? Wait a second. We're at a war with our own people, amongst white I people. I guarantee by 25, we go to war. They're going to destroy, they're going to take out our electricity. I guarantee it. I wouldn't trust uh, China as far as I can throw them. What the hell does that mean, Paulie? I can't trust them as far as I can throw China. Watch. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to disrupt our electricity. But I couldn't agree more with Judge Weinberg. What the United States do without electricity? We have uh, no uh, water. Uh, Paulie, have you seen the Con Ed bills lately? That has nothing to do with it. Oh, that yes, is, it does. Nobody is, can afford the electricity anymore. This is what is going to happen. They're going to knock out our electricity, and we're gonna, you're going to starve. You're going to last maybe a week with the food in your house, a week maybe two with all the food in the stores, and then chaos is going to start. It's going to last for about three months. Paulie, should we launch a preemptive strike uh, as Bush what? 43, the Bush 43 doctrine? What do you think all these balloons, all these balloons are, we have, they, they're sending over so many balloons, and those are only the four we detected, but there's a lot more. Trust me, I know this for a fact. Paulie, I've asked you, Paulie, should we launch a preemptive strike against the Red Chinese, get them before they get us? You know what? I have no idea. Well, well, just, well, wait, don't you? Haven't you signed in to the Bush doctrine of preemptive strikes? How did that work out in Iraq, huh? How did that work out, huh? People are crazy. Crazier than me. I was busy all day looking for white supremacists. By the way, Broadway Billy, you were a targeted group. Being a Euro-Asiatic black man, did you see any white supremacists menacing you, threatening you, eye-fornicating you? Did you see them, Billy? Of course you did not. Avery was a little sharper than you, Billy, because you... uh your friend Warner Wolf happens to be Jewish and white, so you've overlooked his whiteness because he's in solidarity with you playing shuffleboard down in Fort Myers at your condos. But Avery, who has spent hours preparing our Frank Morano extravaganza, maybe the whitest person who has ever existed in this world, Frank Morano, 
Avery, did you get a sense that white supremacists were trailing you today and were a threat to you and coming to the studios at WABC? Did you take extra precautions on Saturday, Avery? Uh, no, nah, man, it's a regular day. Come on, man. <laughs> didn't you? Didn't you respect? Didn't you see the police commissioner see well out there? Didn't you see Jews and Gentiles together? We defy you. Come get us. <laughs> right there on Fifth Avenue. Oh yeah, that's a real tough hood. Wow, boo. If I was a white supremacist, oh, you're outside of the synagogue on Fifth Avenue. Ooh, I'm, I'm frightened. I'm so desperate to find them. I want to, I want to contribute. I, want, I felt so, so meaningless that I could not find a white supremacist all day Saturday. I looked. I told you I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I went there. They were selling everything white today on sale, including some of the clerks. I said, so desperately. Let's go to Angelita, who's calling all the way from Chi-Town, a.k.a. Chicago. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Angelita. Ciao, Curtis. Listen, let's get this out of the way, the saying that you keep saying. But, but they told you it wrong. The the correct way to say it is, I trust them as far as I can throw them. Because this way, you can do neither. You can't trust them and you can't throw them because they're they're too heavy. You can't pick them up. Wow. Let, trust- let's listen. Let's listen to the judge and decipher that for a second, Angelina. I wouldn't <laughs> trust uh, China as far as I can throw them. He does. Well, you know, when I hear him, I I think of AOC. Give me a break. <laughs> Wow. He's saying it incorrectly. All right, hold on. Trust uh, China as far as I can throw them. So what is the correct uh, language that should have been used by him, Angelita? It's in the affirmative. I trust them as far as I can throw them. Say somebody broke up with their boyfriend. Hmm. And, you know, she's in conversation with other people. She says, I trust him as far as I can throw him, Okay. Now, Angelita, you're not a jurist. You never wore black regal robes as a judge. Uh, Have you, Angelita? Not yet. Let me tell you something. He's a scholar. Judge Weinberg, you mean to tell me he flipped the language the wrong way? It's it's very common for people to say it improperly, incorrectly, because when they do, it doesn't make sense. But I couldn't agree more with Judge Weinberg. But Governor Patterson couldn't have agreed more with Judge Weinberg. Well, no comment. He's your relative. <laughs> I know, but former Governor David Patterson, top jurist, top judge in New York. Can I hear Judge Weinberg again? I wouldn't trust uh, China as far as I can throw them. No, oh, please. You're polluting my ears. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> you know, Angelina, you're right. You you are absolutely correct. He said it the wrong way. He said it incorrectly, yeah. And when it comes to the idiots that keep honoring this day of hate, Curtis, we they our responsibility is to make fun of these people. From here forward, we need to mock them and mock them and mock them. They hate being mocked. Whether it's in written form, whether it's in person, eyeball to eyeball, it does. 
all of them. They need to be back. Angelita, if I had been if I had been in Chicago, I would have been scouring the West Side for white supremacists and the South Side of Chicago down the ninety fifth Street on the Dan Ryan. I would have gone into every remaining public housing project. Those I remember from earlier years, Ida B. Wells, Robert Taylor Holmes, Cabrini Green, and, of course, Rockwell Gardens. And I would have said, come out, you white supremacists! Face! Face me now! Yes. If I was in New York City, Curtis, I would have headed over to Chuck Schumer's house because I would have found one there. Where were they hiding today? I looked so desperately for them. I could not find one. White supremacists, on the very day that they declared to be a national day of hate. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Your love is fading. I feel it fade. Ah, your love is fading. I feel it fade. Ah, your love is fading. Woman, I feel it fade. Ah, Touch has gone cold. Just someone else controls your very soul. I fooled myself long as I can. Can feel the presence of another man. It's now when you speak my name. It's just not the same. Ooh, babe, I'm losing you. It's in the air. We've lost Bernard Adams, youngest brother of Eric Adams, who was leading his intel, his security. Remember the words that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plans, said why he so desperately needed his brother to protect him from white supremacists. But let me be clear on this. Uh, my brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, number one, he will be in charge of my security uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my secur- security in a very serious way. So Bernard Adams has said, Arriva Delci. He's going back to parking cars at the uh, Virginia Commonwealth College that he was uh, doing that for many, many years. He just didn't feel that with the, <laughs> all these extremist groups planning a national day of hate that he could protect his brother any longer. So he had to leave the job. He wasn't up to it. God, the, the problem we have here in New York City is white extremists, those four hillbillies from Ocala who came up, went outside that playhouse. 
said, we'll get you, Jews, if it's the last thing we do. ha And then all of a sudden, out of that, somebody declared a national day of hate. And I spent a whole day looking for them. And Broadway, Bill Lee, that's a day I'll never get back in my life. I came up empty. Because they, they never declared a national day of hate. It was all bull feathers. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the politicians. They're trying to distract you from real day-to-day issues that they refuse to address. And all of you are cowering. Oh, they're going to get me. Talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Remember this song, Rock and Roll Part 2, right? Gary Glitter, pedophile on a pedestal, extreme pedophile on a pedestal. And then as he went from prison to prison in Cambodia, where the pedophiles play in Vietnam and eventually back to his native England, when did you last hear this song, Broadway, Billy and Avery? You saw it with... Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker, right? Remember? 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 Oh, God, it was such a good film. And what did they tell us about Joaquin? Phoenix. Let me report to all of you scatty cats who are hiding during the day of hate on Saturday. Fearful of white supremacists that we're going to come and kill you. It was September 18th, 2019. That the United States Army distributed an email warning service members... A potential violence at theater screening the film, The Joker. Remember that? And noting the Joker's character's popularity among the incel community. You know the incel community. There are a number of guys who work here, Broadway, Bill Lee, who are incel because no woman in their right mind would have anything to do with them. They should spend their day pleasurizing themselves. That'll relieve their tension. But anyway, I remember a separate memo revealed the Army received credible information 
from Texas law enforcement regarding the targeting of an unknown movie theater during the release. You remember that, Broadway Billy? You said, I'm not going to the movies. My God, I might get shot and killed. The film forbidden to minors under 17 in the USA had unleashed the uh, usual problem of the possible imitations of the criminal behaviors represented in one of the greatest films of all time, The Joker, starring the Academy Award winner, Joaquin Phoenix. Preparation, Lady Gaga and Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker round two. However... The FBI and the United States Department of Homeland Security found no credible threats surrounding the release of the film Joker. Fear, fright, hysteria, and hype, ladies and gentlemen. We have become a nation of quizlings, weaklings, afraid of our own shadows. Government says, oh, why the streamers are out there? Hide, hide. When the Joker movie came out, oh, don't go to a theater, you might get killed. You might get killed because there are people out there who want to imitate the actions of the Joker and the criminal behavior. And I took my government seriously, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery. I went out there and patrol with the Guardian Angels and I said... We got to find imitation jokers. And what did I find? Thugs, thuggets, homeless people, emotionally disturbed. A guy copping a squat, taking a crap in the middle of the car. Another one urinating on the wall. But I couldn't find people imitating the joker in a crazed, maniacal way, according to what the Pentagon had told us. Well, you didn't want to believe the Pentagon? Well, what, they wouldn't lie to us? They wouldn't spread, spread fear, fright, hysteria, and hype that you didn't want to take a subway because you felt somebody else might be riding the train. Attempting to imitate what the Joker did in that movie. Oh, what a great movie it was. And I loved it because it brought back Robert De Niro, Psycho Boy, who had starred in one of the greatest films of all time, The King of Comedy. And then all of a sudden, they brought back Robert De Niro in the reverse role. Remember, the, in the initial role, he kidnaps Terry Lewis. And then in the Joker, ha-ha, the tables were turned, and the Joker kidnapped Robert De Niro. Oh, I was on the cusp. I was on the edge. I wanted to go out there and be Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. I watched that film of Travis Pickle, and I said, let me drive a yellow cab around, right? Except I didn't have a license. God! I wanted to imitate De Niro and Taxi Driver. Bronson and Death Wish, right? You know, it's the movies that make us do these kind of things, right? Let's blame the movies. Fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. 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 I'm afraid of my own shadow. 
I'm so afraid. I don't want to drink water in East Palestine. I don't want to breathe the air. I don't want to take the subway. Oh, my God. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let me take you back in the time machine to one of the greatest movies and never got the credit it should have. The king of all comedy. Remember, that was Zelensky before he became president of the Ukraine. He was the king of all comedy in the Ukraine. And remember when Jerry Lewis threw De Niro out of his house? Do you understand English? Take your things and go. All right, I can take a hint, Jerry. I just want to ask you to listen to my stuff for 15 minutes. That's all. Is that asking too much? Yes, it is. I have a life, okay? Well, I have a life, too. That's not my responsibility. Well, it is when you tell me to call you and then you don't... I told you to call to get rid of you. To get rid of me? That's right. Okay. All right, I can take a hint. If I didn't tell you that, we'd still be standing on the steps at my apartment. Yeah, all right, so I made a mistake. I so did Hitler. All right, oh, oh, this is the way it is when you're famous. Now yeah. I see. Do you understand yeah. now? That's how you guys are, huh? No, not, not them. No. Me, yeah. That's how you are. Uh-huh, right. When you reach the top, huh? That, no, I was that way before. I see. Now I know how people like you All right, are. goodbye oh. and good luck. Right. Goodbye. And Jerry, Jerry... I just want to say one more thing, Jerry. I'm glad what you did to me today. You know that? Because now I know I can't rely on anybody. Not you, not anybody. And I shouldn't rely on anybody. Right. You know that? And you want to know something else? I'm going to work 50 times harder. And I'm going to be 50 times more famous than you. Then you're going to have idiots like you playing your life. That's right. Right. Yes. Come on, Rita. We're wasting our time. Go ahead, Rita. Goodbye, Jerry. Oh, that was so good. So good, right? You knew he was going to come back, didn't you? You knew the psycho boy, Robert De Niro, was going to come back. A lot of you are probably wondering why Jerry isn't with us tonight. Well, I'll tell you. The fact is, he's tied up. And I'm the one who tied him. (laughs) (laughs) I know you think I'm joking, but believe me, that's the only way I could break into show business. By hijacking Jerry Langford. Right now, Jerry is strapped to a chair somewhere in the middle of this city. (laughs) Go ahead and laugh. Thank you. I appreciate it. But the fact is, I'm here. Now, tomorrow you'll know that I wasn't kidding and you'll think I was crazy. But look, I figure it this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. Better to be king for the night than a schmuck for the lifetime. I love that. Remember the line? Hey, Jerry, you you forgot me, Jerry? Hey, Jerry, hey, uh, I'm a person of no consequence. What a great film. Jerry Lewis was frightened, remember? Remember how frightened Jerry Lewis was of... Robert De Niro, who eventually did kidnap him. Was that not one of the greatest movies of all time? And a lot of you never saw it. If you haven't seen it, you must see it. Don't listen to Frank Morano, that mama look. He would be afraid if he saw a film like The King of Comedy. You remember that, ladies and gentlemen? Remember how you were on the edge of your chair? You were, you were fearful. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It was in that film that I understood why the French believed that Jerry Lewis was a national treasure. 
They love Jerry Lewis so much more than we Americans. We took him for granted. Remember, he was with Dean Martin, and then they broke up. Young man from Newark, New Jersey, Jerry Lewis, turned out to be a perv. But we didn't know that at that time, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery. We had no idea. But the French, they, they embraced him. To this day, he is one of the greatest film stars in all of France because it's a nation of pervs. They could react to Jerry Lewis. They recognized that talent. And then years later, in the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. By the way, the Joker Part 2 is being made, and this time it's Lady Gaga who will be joining Joaquin Phoenix. I can't wait, Thunder Thighs. I remember when the Joker admitted to murdering three people on the subway on a TV talk show? Okay, I'm s- yeah, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, it's been a rough few weeks, Murray. <laughs> Ever since I killed those three Wall Street guys. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. There is no punchline. It's not a joke. You're serious, aren't you? You're telling us you killed those three young men on the subway? Mm-hmm. And why should we believe you? I got nothing left to lose. Nothing can hurt me anymore. <laughs> My life is nothing but a comedy. Well, let me get this straight. You think that killing those guys is funny? I do. And I'm tired of pretending it's not. Comedy is subjective, Marie. Isn't that what they say? All of you, the system that knows so much, you decide what's right or wrong the same way that you decide what's funny or not. Classic. The roles reverse. The host now is De Niro. And the crackpot in Screwpaw, Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. You know, it would have been so appropriate when Joaquin Phoenix killed those three Wall Street bankers. That he said on this anniversary that Karl Marx had written Das Kapital, opposed to capitalism, that he would say he was an adherent of Marxism, but he didn't say that. No, he didn't say that. You could tell he had climbed into the belly of the beast. And then one last time, the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, did his role reversal on Robert De Niro in this great film. And shot and killed the talk show host, Robert De Niro. I know. How about another joke, Murray? No, I think we've had enough of your jokes. What do you get? I don't think so. When you cross a mentally ill loader with a society that has managed him and beat him like trash. Call the police. I'll tell you what you get. Call the police. Get what you deserve.
Do you think, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, that the next time you go onto the bowels of the city, the subway system, you should be looking around for the Joker? Or a bunch of thugs who are out there to beat the hell out of you? By the way, now, some of you are wondering, Curtis, where are you going with this, right? Avery is looking at me incandescently or whatever the hell that means. And you're wonder, aren't you? You're wondering where I'm going with this. Avery. Be honest. Be honest. You, you're trying to connect the dots. You're saying, wait a second. You went from King of All Comedy where De Niro was the schoolball and crackpot and Jerry Lewis was the victim to all of a sudden the Joker subways killing three Wall Street bankers, and then all of a sudden De Niro is the talk show host, like Jerry Lewis was originally, and it's the Joker who kills De Niro, right? Are you wondering about that? Come on, admit it, Avery. Come on, admit it. It's a method to my madness here. Method to my madness. Yeah, I was wondering. (laughs) I, I like to let it unfold in front of me. You're not alone, Avery. The whole world is wondering, where the hell is Sliwa going with this? Right? Come on, Broadway Billy, you're wondering too, right? That's why you're paying rapt attention. Like, has Sliwa finally lost it? Has he gone over the edge? Is he consumed into the belly of the beast? His vigilante tendencies has drawn him to applaud the Joker. As I applauded Bronson and Death Wish, Buford Pusher and Walking Tall, and De Niro and Taxi Driver. Well, the reason I mention this is because a real-life Joker is on the loose in Gotham City. A man is wanted for opening fire on a subway rider during a fight in a Manhattan subway. And guess what? He's a comedian. Yeah. A YouTube comedian who was slated to take the stage earlier tonight in Times Square. Aha. Now, now, now does this make sense, Avery? Does this begin to make sense? Aha. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it makes sense. Okay. Now you're saying, whoa, this is deep, man. The Joker wasn't a comedian, but go ahead. Slee was deep. This uh, criminal is Marcos Cofresi, age 30, who performs under the name Leo and Leonardo Cofresi. He was on the bill at the LOL Comedy Lounge at West 46th Street. He was to have performed hours ago. Guess what? He didn't show up. He was on the lamp. And again, as I started the show, I asked you, what the hell does on the lamb mean? It's said over and over. You read it in stories. The criminal is on the lamb. The suspect is on the lamb. He hasn't been seen. He's on the lamb. You remember the fugitive? He was on the lamb. Was that Richard Jensen? What a great show that was. As he pursued the killer of his wife, the man who only had one arm, right? And they all thought he was crazy, too. They all thought he was crazy, didn't they? Ashbet, Ashbet, give me a few minutes to connect the dots here before they're coming to take me away. Oh, my, they're coming to take me away to the funny farm. No, 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 no. 
He's from Bushwick, Brooklyn. He blasted a 34-year-old man in the stomach and forearm just last month when they rode a southbound N-train. Kofresi and his female companion were fighting with the victim just at about 1 o'clock in the morning on January 28th as the subway train pulled into the Canal Street and Broadway station. At that point, the comic opened fire, firing off two rounds. So very similar to the Joker in a lot of ways. Not completely, but there are some uh, similarities. The victim was taken to Bellevue Hospital in stable condition and survived the trauma. A Bronx woman who had been on that train was stunned when the police uh, in their investigation uh, questioned her about what she had said and said, do you know the gunman is a comedian? The wanted comedian has two prior arrests for criminal possession of marijuana and fair evasion. Confressi likes talking about crime and cops in his act. Quote, remember when people wanted to get rid of cops? Remember that like a year ago? As he riffed in one crime-fueled take on his TikTok, some dude in a turtleneck was like, we should get rid of cops. I was like, you look very robbable. I was like, are you a fighter? Why do you want to get rid of cops? He's like, no, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. I was like, no, you're a victim. We're going to rob you, dog, he said, laughing maniacally at his own joke. In another bit posted last year to TikTok, he warbles selling drugs. It sounds less effed up when you sing it, right? That's why rap is so fun, drawing laughs and cackles from the crowd on the subway. In August, Kofresi performed at the Front Street Tap Room in Fargo, North Carolina, as part of an NYC Friends Showcase. He was in Fargo, North Carolina. He was what? On the lam. Ladies and gentlemen, please, I'm racking my brain. What the hell does on the lam mean? What is its gyration, so to speak? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So way out there in North Dakota where there is more wheat than people, that comedy club gave this bio of Leo Cofresi. He's a Dominican ex-gangbanger. On stage, he has a devil's advocate style with goofy and observational jokes. You can see him on Game Theory on HBO. Earlier this month, the NYPD sought the public's help in finding the comedian, and it wasn't to get his autograph. The gunman, last seen wearing a white neck gaiter with a skull on it, ran off with the woman as the train pulled into the station at Canal and Broadway. The distinctive face covering may have sparked a what-are-you-looking-at argument that escalated into bloodshed. Quote, he's a comedian wanted in a shooting. There was a bump. Marcos pulls a gun, NYPD Chief of Detectives James Essex said on Friday. By the way, James Essex, head of the detectives, has uh, signed up to become head of detectives in Suffolk County. He can't leave here fast enough, like almost everyone else in the police department. 
Kofrasi is about five foot ten and was also seen wearing a dark colored jacket with New York written on the front of it, dark colored sweatpants, gray sneakers, and a New York Yankees baseball cap. Don't they all wear New York Yankees baseball caps? Remember, there was a man who was named Omar Gaddafi. You remember Omar Gaddafi, Broadway Billy, first he was our foe. Then Reagan lit him up in his tent uh, in uh, Tripoli. Then he became our friend, and then Bush 43 convinced him to give up all of his nuclear weapons. Was that crazy? Then the next thing we knew, some Libyan guy wearing a New York Yankee hat had a 22, stuck it up in Sershi Highway, fired one shot, and Muammar Gaddafi got on the Paradise Express and zoomed himself up to Allah's side. You remember that? Yeah, of course you remember. I remember when he would uh, visit his very dear friend in Italy, the prime minister who refuses to die, Berlusconi, who would look at his friend, Libyan uh, dictator Muammar Gaddafi, and he would say, you want some bunga bunga? Yeah, by the way, you're looking at me with a very jaundiced look. Ladies and gentlemen, what did Berlusconi the prime minister who refuses to die, the billionaire prime minister uh, back then of Italy, mean when he said to Muammar Gaddafi, you want some bunga bunga? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Muammar Gaddafi was um, surrounded by his armed concubines. That was his security force. These were young Libyan women, many of them underaged. Berlusconi always loved women underage. Yep. Yeah, he was a pedophile on a pedestal. And he would set up tents wherever Muammar Gaddafi would go. He would set up tents, and he and his concubines would stay in the tents. This guy was a freak. Avery, do you have any idea what the words bunga bunga meant, which came off the lips of one of the world's richest men, Berlusconi, who owned, like, the national TV network in Italy. He owned soccer clubs, and he bought, the, he bought into becoming the prime minister. Do you know what he meant by bunga bunga? Who was he selling? Who, who was he saying it to? Oh, my God. You're lost. You're really lost. You're having a difficult time following my line of logic or illogic. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Nobody out there knows what bunga bunga means. It's not Italian. You know, it's not. Just because Berlusconi, one of the richest men in the world, a billionaire with the wealth equivalent of Michael Bloomberg, owned the national TV station, owned a series of soccer clubs, and would show up at a gathering and immediately say, it's time for bunga Bunga. What the hell did he mean by that? Well, that's what I'm asking. What kind of gathering? Like, if it was a strip club, I, would, I, could, I could guess better. But if it wasn't a strip club, if it was church, then I'll, I'll be kind of lost. Like, what kind of gathering are we talking about? First, you have to know the meaning of the word before you can determine the setting where the word was being used on a regular basis. Hey, context is everything. Let's just say Gaddafi got lit up when he heard that from his very dear friend, Berlusconi. Oh, okay. And Bill Clinton, too. It's a little bit of a hint. All right. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. On this bunga, bunga early morning as I take you to the break of dawn. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam What the hell is he talking about? Using condoms? I, I can't quite figure that out. Is that Korean? Is she have kimchi breath? I, I don't know. But I will tell you, I've walked down 32nd Street in the shadow of the Empire State Building, Little Koreatown. Where if you look up, you see the kimchi girls in the massage polish waving to the guys as they pass by. Hey, we're open for business. And then, of course, when Avery goes into Flushing and then makes a right on Northern Boulevard, you're in Little Koreatown there. Growing community. Growing, growing community. And did you see the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill with his youngest daughter as he was strolling about with that pork pie hat on? Looked like Muggs McGinnis with the pork pie hat on. And they would say, oh, she'll be the future leader of North Korea. Oh, my God. This is nuts. We got this maniac over there who's starving his people to death in North Korea. And what are we worried about? White supremacists. Make sure that you have safe sex and you use a condom. Is that what he's saying? A condom style? Is it? Whatever. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So I don't just talk about what the problems are. I've actually recruited help. Help is on the way, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery. I have spoken to Macedonia Phil, who lives in Bushwick. That's where this comedian has gone on the lamb to in one of the many tenements where the hipsters and millennials have moved in and the locals have moved out. Or in the many public housing projects where you got hardcore thugs and thuggets. So let me take you to a conversation that I had with uh, Macedonian Phil, who is the executive producer of The Morning Show. 
And he said to me, wow, this show like some chutzpah, some hubris, that he wanted to be a guardian angel. He said, could I come out on patrol? And I said, sure, next Friday. That's usually the roughest nights, Friday nights, you want to come out on patrol. And then our program director, Matt Meany, said, count on me, too. Are you going on patrol, Curtis? I said, yeah, of course. And I know exactly where to go, right in the belly of the beast. I took Sid Rosenberg there when he first came back from Florida, from Boca Raton, took him out to Broadway Junction. Oh, yeah. And then we went to Junior Street off Livonia, where the three train meets the L train. And I showed him where Murder Incorporated had their burial grounds. This is when the Jews were the toughest of the tough. When they ran Murder Incorporated, the era of Lepke and Gura, where the Italians would go and subcontract a hit to the Jews. At Midnight Roses, you would go there. It was a cafeteria. You get an egg cream, you get a salted rod pretzel, and you'd sit down. Remembers of Murder Incorporated, and they would say, who do you want whacked? And they would go, and they would do it with pleasure. That's when the Jews were real tough. Now they're never she shlubby. Oh, they were white supremacists. Oh, my God. So I talk with a hipster and millennium, Macedonian Phil. And I have him watching tapes tonight from the old Living in Color series. You know, the Wayans brothers who came from the Chelsea Projects and their fly girls. You know, J-Lo was one of their fly girls from uh, for a while from Castle Hill. Yeah, Preston High School before she went on to uh, becoming the diva of all divas. Did any of you remember the character Jim Carrey played? He was great in Living Color. He played Woodchuck 1 because he so desperately wanted to be a guardian angel. And I said, that's you, Macedonian Phil. If you could get it together, you one day, Macedonian Phil, as a hipster and millennial in Bushwick, could become a guardian angel. Dickie Peterson, chair above justice, here to protect and serve. Well, the secret service will take care of this kid. The last thing we need is some guardian angel troop hanging around here. I am not a guardian angel, sir, nor do I care to be, unless they start returning my phone calls, but fast. I have to step behind that line. Go undercover, mingle with the crowd. Roger! Now it's Macedonian Phil. He's got to take those lessons. He's just like Jim Carrey in uh, Living in Color. Woodchuck 1 to Woodchuck 2. And then uh, I gave him more film to observe, to look at, so that he could get out of his uh, weak, hipster, millennial ways. Purchase a product or vacate the premises. What are you supposed to be, a guardian angel? No, I'm not, nor do I care to be, even if they reconsider my application. So, uh, who are you? My name is Dickie Peterson. Cherub of justice. Here to protect and serve. A cherub of justice, here to protect and serve. And then the final film that I had, Macedonian Phil, executive producer of the morning show, look at again and again and again. And maybe, just maybe, he understands the length that he has to go to become a real guardian angel. Let's see, one of these guardian angels? Uh, no, 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 I'm not, nor do I care to be, even if they decide to return my phone calls. Hey, yeah. It's not easy. Got to work your way up, become a cherub of justice first. That's sort of like the minor leagues for the guardian angels. I have a feeling, though, next Friday night, 
Macedonian Phil, executive producer of uh, Sid Rosenberg and Friends, and his one fiend and his one foe, yours truly, Curtis Lee. I'm on with him Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays at 7.05. And our program director, Matt Meany, I will be taking them into the bowels of hell, into the belly of the beast. Let's see if they return. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Laura, who is uh, calling all the way from New Hampshire, the Granite State, the state of live free or die. Amen. Yes, yes Laura. Hi, Curtis. How are you? Well, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I forgot. No, no, no. It's okay, Laura, because... Uh, I failed in my responsibility to find the white supremacists who had declared uh, a national day of hate. I, I, I feel I let down the people of New York City as leader of the Guardian Angels on Saturday. Why is that? I couldn't find any white supremacists. <laughs> I tried, Laura. I really tried. I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I patrolled up and down the aisles. They had sales going on for the white sheets, the white pillowcases, the white pillow covers. Everything white was on sale. And I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I profiled no white supremacists. Did you go where the white snow was? Yeah, it snowed ever so briefly. My wife, she loved snow. Nancy was all for toots. She was like, oh, my God. Can we collect some snow? I said, no, nah, it's going to melt. This is not a permanent snow. Now, you've had snows up there in New Hampshire this year, right? Oh, my God. We had uh, eight eight inches yesterday, oh. and we're going to actually get, like, a few more inches in the next coming days. But I'm tired. I'm ready. Now, I'm question, ready for- question, Laura, where in New Hampshire do you reside? Uh, Salem. Okay, Salem. All right. And where originally were you from? Um... Well, I was born in Juni, Lebanon. Whoa. You were born yeah. in Lebanon, and how old were you when uh, your parents brought you to New Hampshire? Uh, I was uh, two years old. Uh, have you been back to Lebanon since? No, my mom, my mother went, has been back, and my brother has been back. And uh, we still have my mother's house there, uh, my grandmother's house. So... Yeah, but, uh, I, 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 will, I, I will tell you on my very first trip to uh, Israel, Israel was opened up quite a bit back then. You could go into the Gaza Strip. It wasn't closed down. Uh, I went into the Becca Valley. I saw the Jews up there, of which there are many uh, in Lebanon. You know, it's on its way, on your way through Syria into Lebanon. And then, oh, my God, Beirut, it was like the Paris of the Middle East. And then they were in the midst of a civil war, Muslims versus Marianite Christians. Uh, and what a beautiful city. It was just being wrecked every day in so many ways. Terrible. They called it the jewel of the Middle East. And I could, um, I could see why. I could easily see why. So do you have a desire to go back at any point and see the, the land of your parents and grandparents? You know, it's so unsettled there. I, I, I wouldn't mind going to, like, Israel or Jerusalem. But, I mean, Lebanon's, you know... You know what I love? You know what I love about Lebanon, even though they have so many various competing groups from the Christians and the Muslims and Hezbollah, if the Iran and the Iranian uh, forward guard there is, 
on their tree is that uh, on their flag is that tree. It reminds me always like a kid when I grew up and they would tell me a tree grew in Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, it's got a tree on its flag. It's the cedar, the cedar of Lebanon. I love that flag. I really it's do. Beautiful. Beautiful. I actually have a medallion my mother brought back. Um, it's the picture of uh, the cedar tree. It's a little gold medallion. So, yeah, everyone's so proud of the cedar tree in Lebanon. Now, I know that this is not something you would be privy to because you left at such a young and tender age, but the Becca Valley, which is a connection between Syria and Lebanon and has been used as a trade route for centuries, uh, supposedly has the best hashish in the world. Now, I know you would know nothing about that, Laura. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a clean liver. <laughs> but anyway, you, 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 you seem to know what the words that would flow from the lips of one of the world's richest men, Berlusconi, who refuses to die, the former prime minister of Italy, owns many of the top soccer clubs, owns the national TV station. Whenever his uh, guests would come into his palace there, he would say, bunga, bunga. Uh, when you mentioned Bill Clinton, it was a dead giveaway for me. <laughs> uh, is it an or- orgy or a sex party? Yes. Yes, this is what he would. And with underaged women, and he would get away with it, Laura. Um, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. But what a crazy world we live in, huh, Curtis? It is. Imagine there was Berlusconi uh, saying bunga bunga. There was Muammar Gaddafi, his best friend in the world, who had security that were actually women in the military, but they were his concubines. And when he would visit his very dear friend Berlusconi, because originally in the days of um, Mussolini, Libya was a colony until they broke uh, broke from their colonization. So the Italians and the Libyans have had a relationship going back for decades, centuries. And so when Gaddafi would visit, he would set up his tents outside of the prime minister's palace. Tents! And the Italians would say, what's going on in there in Italian? And the Italians would say, bunga, bunga. He was quite the dresser, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, my God, and he would always have that man tan, you know, that, that tan out of a can uh, that would make it seem like he was tan 24-7-365. Right on. He, he had a terrible death, though. It's pretty sad. No, no, Berlusconi's still alive. You mean Gaddafi. Oh, Gaddafi, no, yes. Talk, talking about um, modern Gaddafi. Yeah, no, that, first of all, Gaddafi lives as an example why you should not give up your nuclear weapons. The Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons after the uh, Soviet uh, Union fell apart and the Ukraine were able to break away as other nations did. The Ukrainians had the third largest number of nuclear weapons in the world. So there was the United States and Russia. The Red Chinese were building up their nuclear payload, but the Soviet Union had put so many of the nuclear weapons within ships uh, that were uh, uh, in ports in the Ukraine and on land, 
and the Ukrainians gave it up. Now, there's no way that Putin would have ever invaded the Ukraine, whether it was Trump as president or Biden or any American president, if the Ukraine had nuclear weapons. There's just no way he would have invaded the Ukraine. Um, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. And, and, I also... and think of it. Muammar Gaddafi had nuclear missiles, nuclear weapons, and in the aftermath of Bush 43 invading Iraq, supposedly for weapons of mass destruction that did not exist, Muammar Gaddafi felt it would behoove him to give up his nuclear weapons so that the United States would not invade Libya. Bush left. Obama came in. Hillary Hillary. said, let's get Gaddafi. And you know the rest of that story. Yeah, Hillary Clinton took him out, that's for sure. Never trust him, <laughs> right? <laughs> he gave up his nukes, and look at what happened. Yeah, he, he, what a fool. <laughs> Imagine he was the lion of the desert. That's what he was known as. He looked like he was in a drug-induced psychosis, like he was doing acid all the time. But he was referred to as the lion, the Judah of the desert, And this guy with a Yankee baseball cap, a Libyan, comes up to him, takes him prisoner, and just ends it right there by sticking a twenty-two simple pistol uh, in his posterior, fired one time, and killed him right on the spot. Well, they beat beat him up quite before then. They they tore practically. Yeah, they did a Saddam uh, Hussein to him. Remember what the Shias did to Saddam Hussein? They smacked him around a bit, and then they hung him. Yeah. Well, we, we let them do that. We gave them back to them, didn't we? Didn't we give them? Yes. Bring- yes, we did. By telling you, Laura, up there in the state of live free or die, the libertarian state, the granite state of New Hampshire, you have superseded the reputation of the population in your state, Laura, with your appearance uh, this early morning on WABC. It was my honor, Curtis. Well, continue to listen and spread the word from the Becca Valley in Lebanon. I know, Broadway Billy, you have no idea about the hashish there. Oh, my God, it's supposedly the number one hash production area in the world. And it's been that way for centuries. Traders going in and out. You know, you got the Jews, the Jews. Now, you know what the Jews are? You have any idea, Avery, that if you were Jews, and let's say you had a sister, Avery, and your sister ended up having a relationship with a Marianite Christian or let's say a Shia Muslim or a Sunni Muslim and not a fellow Jews. Your father, your uncles would come to you and say, Avery, do you love your sister? And what would you say, Avery? You would say, of course I love my sister. And they would say, it is your responsibility because your sister has violated our family to do an honor killing. And you would have to find your sister in the Jews' tradition and kill her and then turn yourself into the authorities. Well, I kind of have that situation. My sister, is, um, she has a Jewish uh, boyfriend. That's not quite the situation you laid out. Damn right it's not. <laughs> I could just see you, Avery, saying, wow, you got a Jewish boyfriend. This is great. 
Yeah, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't let people know for a while. Wow, she was hush, she kept it on the down low, right? Hush, hush, mush, mush. I don't know about that, but, you know. And then all of a sudden, Avery decided to become a black Hebrew Israelite, right? <laughs> Standing outside of the Barclays Center, screaming invectives at people. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Oh, you see that? That was a great call of Laura. See how we went around? We we traveled the globe from Lebanon to Becca Valley, right into what had to have been one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I briefly got a chance to see it, but it was like shattered after the civil war between the Christians and the Muslims, and then the Israelis came in. Ariel Sharon said, the uh, Halafez Assad, the butcher of uh, Damascus in Syria, he said, Halifaz is a two-way road to Damascus, and you will soon see Israeli tanks going in your direction on both lanes. You know everybody's nickname. <laughs> <laughs> the butcher of this, the, li- the lion of that. That's right. Halifaz Assad, <laughs> the butcher of Damascus. Let's not forget Slobodan Milosevic. The butcher of the Balkans, like like the Michael Buffer of like arch enemies of like <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in, in this corner. <laughs> in this corner, Slobodan Milosevic, the butcher of the Balkans from Serbia, and in the other corner, Halafez Assad. Did I ever tell you the story of Halafez Assad? So he's meeting with the King of Jordan. And they had portisans because in the tradition of the king of Jordan, they met out in the desert area. They had the tent, and it was time for Halafez Assad to relieve himself. He had been drinking water. It was hot that day. He goes into the portosan, and he relieves himself. And immediately underneath the portosan is an agent of Mossad who takes the liquid that had emerged from his system, he sneaks it off to Tel Aviv. They tested it and determined that Halafez Assad had stage 4 prostate cancer from a urine sample. And they knew at that point that he wasn't uh, dear for this world. And within a year, he was dead from prostate cancer. How would you get that assignment? Boy, that's one ancient. That, that's an ancient uh, coin flip, boy. To see who get that assignment. <laughs> Man, Mossad. Best two out of three. Shinbet, their secret services. He said under the border party or whatever to see. <laughs> hey, I didn't train for this. And by the way, Barack, uh, who was one of their prime ministers, he was from Labor. His claim to fame when I think he was a member of Shin Bet or Mossad is he would dress up like a woman, a drag queen, like George Santos. And he would go into a um, Arabic-speaking village, and he had an assignment. He had to kill this terrorist. And he would throw a shot of leg out there, you know, use nair on his legs. And he would show a little bit, you know, uh, Arabic men don't see often that much uh, skin, so he would... Show him a shot of leg. All of a sudden, the Arab men would come up to him and start talking to him. And the next thing you know, bang, bang, bang. What village is this where he could pass? He could pass as a woman and fool everybody. What village is this? Look, when uh, 
Osama bin Laden was escaping our B-52 bombers in Torah Torah. He was dressed in a burqa. Well, that's different. Like, you highly motivated at that point. <laughs> our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848. You probably sold out. <laughs> WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Shinbet Massad on secret assignment underneath that port Hassan, waiting for Halafez Assad, the butcher of Damascus, to, uh, to what can we call it, vent his spleen. And then uh, you immediately take the remnants of his uh, discharge to a laboratory in Tel Aviv where scientists examined the urine sample and said... Halafez Assad has stage 4 prostate cancer. He's not near for this world. And what did that prepare us for? His son, the ophthalmologist. Just think, Rand Paul is an ophthalmologist, the junior senator of Kentucky. He smokes herb while Mitch McConnell, the senior senator, drinks Kentucky bourbon. But Rand Paul is an ophthalmologist. And so is Bashir Assad, the junior butcher of Damascus. And see now, Avery and company, you know the rest of the story. I have connected the dots from Halafez Assad, Ariel Sharon, Bashir Assad, the Becca Valley, Hashish, the Middle East. And up next, oh yeah, we're going to a place that you associate with the Middle East, right? East Palestine. But I still haven't gotten an explanation of why they call it Palestine. To you, it may be Palestine. To me, it's Palestine, and I'm not wearing a kaffiyah when I say it either. Check this out on the weekend.
Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne again, crazy train. But that 150 cargo container carried train, imagine 150 cars attached to that locomotive. And I've seen them as long as 200. Way, way too dangerous to have that many uh, container cars all in connection with, uh, as you know, in the back, the caboose. Sometimes there are so many train cars on the tracks, they have a locomotive also in the middle. Too, too much, too much. And there are a thousand derailments every year, but uh, train traffic, train cargo is the only way we can get uh, products to market quickly, efficiently, and not by burning a lot of... uh, a lot of fossil fuels in the air by having them uh, transported by truck or plane. So it's the perfect song. Crazy train and crazy people who are commenting on this train derailment in a place that nobody ever knew about. East Palestine as opposed to Palestine. Palestine, Illinois. Palestine, Texas. Palestine in the Middle East. But for some odd reason. People call it East Palestine, and I've yet to get an answer on that. Maybe some of you out there can answer that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But there was a woman who was freaking out over East Palestine, used to be a colleague of ours on WABC doing mid-mornings. Thought she could come in without doing any show prep. 
and do comedy for two hours. Never happened. And that was Joyless Behar. Oh, yeah, she was on 10 to 12. And the ratings sunk. Because she didn't know show prep. She didn't know any kind of current events. She thought she could just laugh her way and make jokes uh, throughout her two-hour show. And it didn't work. She crashed and burned. And guess who she was replaced by? <laughs> oh, and she hated every second of it. When all of a sudden she was told, don't bother to return tomorrow. And it was Lynn Samuels who took over for her. Thousand times better as a talk show hostess. Lynn Samuels, although I did not get along with her, we were like two, two uh, scorpions in a brandy glass. The best uh, female talk show hostess that I ever heard in my talk radio history of listening way back to when I was a teenager and listening to first W uh, NBC Sports. Who was it uh, that had that talk show in the 60s on WNBC and then did sports at night on Metro Media Channel 5? And you would ask him a trivia question and he would knock it out of the box all the time. Who is that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I would listen to WBAI. Yes, Freeform Radio. WBAI. They would talk about demonstrations that were taking place, insurrection on the campuses, the free speech movement. It provided me with an insight of what was taking place in radical groups throughout the tri-state area. And I think at that point, some of you may have remembered they were operating out of a brownstone. Uh, I guess a building that had been donated for the use of WBAI. And it was a really old brownstone. I had visited there one time and it was told, what are you doing here? I said, I'm listening to this station. I was a teenager. Unless you have an appointment, sorry. But I got to tell you, they had some really great shows, really great freeform radio Remember, what we need in talk radio is more talk radio, not less talk radio. We need to give you, the listeners, an opportunity to hear the best possible talk radio you can. And when there are more talk radio stations, that means competition. That means everyone's talk radio programs improve. When you have no competition, hey, you slide. We talked about that hours ago when I wanted to revive the old WRKS, KISS versus WBLS, I think even you, Bob Lee, on loan from WCBS during the week, would have to admit that ever since WRKS went off the air on the FM dial, WBLS hasn't been the same because they haven't been pushed to their max. I am in favor of more talk radio for another reason, uh, Broadway Bill Lee. In case the Casamatitises or uh, our Presidente of Red Apple Media, our parent company, should ever decide that uh, it's time for me to go, I have other job prospects. Without other talk radio stations, that's it. <laughs> I'm hanging wallpaper somewhere. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We'll give you an update momentarily what's happening in East Palestine. But I've recommended to people who have contacted me, who know of people who live in that immediate area, pack your bags and get the hell out of there. You don't want to live there. And I understand a lot of people on fixed income, 
and they don't want to leave that neighborhood because it was uh, the house of their mother or grandparents that they handed down to them. Get the hell out of there. Aquatic animals have died. Fish have died. Other animals are sick. Human beings are sick. Are you gonna you're gonna wait for the government to tell you that all is clear? They're already telling you that, just like they did in the aftermath of the attack of 9/11. Who could ever forget? A product of the Peter Principle, Christine Todd Whitless, who was feckless when she was uh, governor of New Jersey, and then she got kicked upstairs by Bush 43. And in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11, she swore on a stack of Bibles, cross my heart and hope to die. The air is clear to breathe. You don't need a respirator, a hazmat suit. You don't need Playtex gloves. You don't need masks. You don't need any protective gear. Get just down in that pile and extricate debris so that we can bring closure to families who don't even have a particular of any uh, body part of one of their loved ones, and also to be able to recover information that was badly needed about individuals and about items that have been stored in the World Trade Center that then was impel- impaired. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Imagine she said, officially, the EPA says, the air is clear You should breathe it. You shouldn't leave. People believed it. And you know who one of them was? You know who's living down in the shadow of the World Trade Center at that time? When Christine Todd Whitless, the patrician that she was, coming out of that horse farm she had in central Jersey. And by the way, they're in that battle now. Uh, which which part of New Jersey does central New Jersey belong to? Northern New Jersey or southern New Jersey? Southern New Jersey has an allegiance to Philadelphia and northern New Jersey to New York City. And central New Jersey feels like it's been orphaned. But who, ladies and gentlemen, was living in the shadow of the World Trade Center when it uh, imploded? And then eventually she died a horrible death of lung cancer which great diva which great performer which great singer that we grew up with and for four years she dominated the charts dominated top 40 1-800-848-9222 that's 1-800-848-WABC let's go to the phones Broadway Bill Lee and to uh, Jack who is in Westchester your turn to be heard here at WABC Jack Yep. Um, it's not lamb. It's lamb, L-A-M, not L-A-M-B. And it's a reference to getting beat up by cops. And let me explain. Lamb-based something is to beat it up and to and the cops catch you back in the old days, at least. And they want information. They beat you up. So you're on the lamb, meaning you're hiding from the cops. Mm-hmm. And the same t- term is actually beat it. What is beat it? It means leave. Why? Because the cops are after you, and if they catch you, they're going to beat you up. So in the old days, they'd give you a wooden shampoo, take their truncheon out, their blackjack, and uh, treat your head uh, like it was a, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a ping pong ball. 
give you a attitudinal readjustment, a concrete facial, and lead you all battered, bruised, and bleeding on the floor. But they'd get the answers. <laughs> so that's what it meant to be on the lamb, as you mentioned, not like a lamb, uh, whether it was uh, uh, shoulder a lamb or loin lamb chop, but L-A-M, correct? Correct. Well, you have solved a question. We solved a question I've been asking uh, 24 hours ago when I was here, same time, same place, taking you to the break of dawn Saturday morning. I want to thank you on behalf of all of our grateful listeners all over the world for clearing up one of many, many questions that I have thrown out like bones to a dog to our audience. Well, you don't give away T-shirts anymore, so people don't want to answer. Well, you know what it is, Jack. We've been told that there is a supply chain issue, and I don't want to blame that also on Joe Biden and Buttigieg, 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 but it's so easy for us to blame them. I've been told, Curtis, you're restricted on giving out booby prizes because... The supply chain has not kept up with the demand, Jack. Hmm. I, I, can I make a comment about Mayor um, Adams? Absolutely. I mean, he's sitting shiver tonight because his brother, Bernard, his younger brother, who was leading his security team for the NYPD, has decided to hand in his papers, and he's leaving as of tomorrow. Yep, I heard that. I'm not, uh, I'm not crying. Uh, <laughs> The mayor said that people don't want to come back to work in the offices, so we're going to have to give them an incentive to do so and increase their their pay. Now he also is crying all the time about budget and needing money, and the feds have to give money and this and that. If people aren't going to come in, he should pay them less. It saves the 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 clients that don't. I mean the the workers who don't come in are save, doing it in part to save money, and they're saving, they figure, $7,000 on average. So if you don't want to come in, you're not going to get the full pay. And that helps them with the budget, and it gives them an incentive without costing the taxpayers even more money. Jack, that makes common sense, uh, but from the... The negotiating point of view of Eric Adams, uh, he's bound contractually to these unions. Uh, he needs their support for re-election. He doesn't want to alienate them. He has uh, aspirations to run for the presidency. Like every person who's ever elected mayor, they're always thinking about running for president. Look, we've had Giuliani do it after he left office. Bloomberg do it after he left office. The schmuck, the putz, um uh, Bill de Blasio tried doing it while he was in office. And I wouldn't doubt that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, is likewise going to try to run for the presidency while he's still mayor of the city of New York. I agree. So the contract he just gave to D.C. 37, the largest of the uh, civil unions, uh, 100,000 members. Uh, it was a union that his own mother had belonged to as a maintenance worker. And he gave them a sweetheart deal that's going to break the bank. There's just no way that with everyone else uh, whose contract has expired, if he gives them that kind of raise, whether it's the cops, the firefighters, the sanitation men, whichever union it is, it just is not going to be the money there. And, yes, he does have leverage. He he can say, if you're not going to return to work, if you're going to 
expect to exist on a hybrid work schedule, well, then we're going to have to say sayonara. But unfortunately, these unions have ironclad agreements where look at look at the UFT, Union of Failed Teachers, Jack. If they have a teacher who's accused of perversion, of putting their hands on the wrong places of a child or it's reported by witnesses or it involves sexual harassment, do you know they're not suspended, they're not fired, they're put into the rubber room with other teachers who have been charged with indiscretions and they get paid their normal rate just for sitting there stapling papers together or reading the newspaper as if it was a no-show job? It's crazy. Absolutely, but... He will not stand up to the unions. He will not challenge them. I'm telling you, he has aspirations, as crazy as it is, to think that very soon he'll be running either for vice president on the Joe Biden ticket or maybe even superseding Joe Biden if he uh, has any falterings. And as you've heard him describe himself, he is the new face of the Democratic Party, Jack. Well, it's it's pretty sad, but especially for a first-term mayor, and especially when he hasn't really accomplished very much yet. But the problem with New York is the unions, as you said, nobody wants to stand up to them. If they're asking, though, not to come in, and their contract says they're supposed to come in, and they're supposed to be working five days a week in the office, and they don't want to come, it's an opportunity to have some kind of compromise. You just don't give it away to them. You say, no, look, you want to do that? You have to give us some money. We need money. We're asking the federal government for money. We're asking everybody for money. We're asking the state. We need we need some concessions here. We just can't give away money. Sometime we have to get some concession. We've got to get some money, some productivity back. So he has the opportunity, but you're right. He's not going to use it because it's not politically what he wants. He wants the union support to run for higher office. Sure. And by the way, uh, Jack, uh, initially uh, when uh, when it no longer appeared that people had to be in lockdown mode, uh, when uh, de Blasio passed over the responsibilities to Eric Adams in being mayor, he could have at that point insisted that civil servants return to their office or be paid less, as you mentioned, not be fired, but paid less. And he chose not uh, to uh, uh, confront them. He never does. He never names and shames. He speaks in generalities. But he certainly could have taken them on because he was blustering. Remember how he was insisting everybody had to get back to work. It's the only way the city's going to get back on track. He had some allies there in corporate America on Wall Street, and they threw the gauntlet down, and they huffed and puffed, and they threatened to destroy people's jobs. And what happened was, Jack, is that it is a worker's market, meaning if a worker has negotiable skills, if they know how to work on a computer. This is what is going on out there. For those that are very adept at what they do, Jack, They're at home most of the time. They're working from their home, which for some of them is a better quality of life. Uh, They're able to do more because they don't have to spend so much time traveling in that rat race back and forth. And they'll have a second computer terminal. And they'll be working two jobs simultaneously. But if they're productive and if they meet their quotas and their expectations, 
they're now earning two salaries, which they'd never be able to do if they were in an office, because if they were trying to do two jobs in an office from two different uh, computer terminals, they'd get cold busted. But they do it at home. And it's very effective for those that are the most proficient and efficient in terms of working on the computer. Yep. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's what he's facing. But he was rough and he was tough and he threatened to blow their, their uh, jobs away. And yet he capitulated and folded like a cheap camera. Now he's lost Bernhard. And remember, he, he went to the mat to hire his brother. He, he sent out a team to extricate him from parking cars at the University of Virginia Commonwealth. Remember? He said, I must have my brother. I must. Because he knows how to protect his older brother. He's done it forever. And then he, when, when push came to shove, this is what Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, had to say. Okay, but let me be clear on this. Uh, my brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security in a very serious way. Ah. Ah, white supremacy. By the way, have they reported any acts of white supremacists threatening life? I can't say the hair on his head because he doesn't have any. He's like uh, another another similarity he has with his newfound friend, Ebony and Ivory Sid Rosenberg. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'll be doing a critique on that um, sometime on Sunday when I return, 3 to 5, and then so nice. I come back twice from 9 to 11 doing the topics of the day. Uh, depending on you, interaction with you, the callers, uh, I don't have guests. I, I don't believe in having guests. Uh, they come in with a uh, predetermined statement. It's like, what, am I going to interview Gordon Chang for the 1,852 times, 52nd time, the warmonger that he is, or General Jack Pence right out of central casting? When you look at his portfolio, when you look at his resume, when you look and all the money he makes for lobbying with the military-industrial complex companies like Blackstone and others. You say, how the hell can you let that guy on TV and radio? He's shilling for Shimolis because if there's war, he's going to make a lot of money. If there's no war, he makes who gots. He makes bupkis. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. You know, it's coming up, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery, a preview 
of the Rebbe and the Rabbi, and he must be saying, well, maybe I don't want to hear any religiosity. Oh, there was a rumble at their symposium at the Sheen Center. It looked more like a gathering that was being hosted by Charlie Sheen, the crackhead method, than his father, Martin Sheen, the liberational theologist. And naturally, the appearance representing the Roman Catholic faith of not Cardinal Dolan, but our own Congressman Peter King, who still had the ashes on his forehead from a day before. And oh God, was he kissing up to the mayor, once again earning the title of an Eric Adams Republican. It made you want to vomit. We'll get into that. I have exclusive footage of the riot that took place in the Sheen Center that you didn't hear about on the news. I'm so proud of some of my friends from the old Acorn, led by then Bertha Lewis. You remember going back to the election between Barack Obama and John McCain when Acorn was exposed by Project Veritas by a man named O'Keefe, graduate Scarlet Knight of Rutgers University, who now has had to resign from his position because he has been accused by his board of directors of spending funding on... This was weird... Performing in shows, musicals like Oklahoma and that. The guy apparently is like a musical freak, a theater freak. And he spent a lot of money going to shows or performing in shows. I I said, where is that? Like a, a casual foe? Like Harley Firestein. Oh, God. Have I caught, have I got you up to date, huh? And then, of course, Avery and... Constant preparation, taking the words, dripping from the lips of our own Frank Morano, the worst side of the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. It's nationally syndicated shows and chopping it up like chop meat and then playing it back, regurgitating for all of you. And even Frank Morano doesn't realize how stupid and how funny at times he sounds in his arrogant, omnipotent, <sighs> obstreperous way. And then we got to celebrate pizza. Oh, yeah, pizza. Uh, are you aware, Avery, that there are 500,000 pizzas that are made and served every day in the five boroughs of the city of New York? 500,000 pizzas. And we'll be serving you a few slices as we take you to the break of dawn because, remember, I'm still sitting shiver for the final closing Although it was swift and unexpected, of Lenny's 86th Street in the heart of Bensonhurst under the L, we were told last Friday they would be closing their doors in perpetuity. And then on Sunday night, at about 10 o'clock as I was on the air, the last final slice of Lenny's Pizzeria, made famous by John Travolta in the opening scenes of Saturday Night Fever as he stacked it took two slices and stacked it. Lenny says, no more. <sighs> then we'll talk about Ray Liotta, no longer with us. You know, this uh, this picture that has come out, Cocaine Bear, he actually was in that picture. 
That's in a movie screen uh, where the bear does lines of cocaine. But a lot of people don't realize that Ray Liotta would spend his summers making pizza, although not very good. He wasn't a good pizza twirler, but boy, he was a chick magnet, and all the females would come and watch him twirl the pizzas, put the sauce on, and then the Parmesan cheese. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-WABC. My all-time favorites, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. I sit here by myself for the passing uh, of uh, David Crosby, who, as you know, Broadway Bill Lee uh, created that special tune for me, The Other Side of Midnight. Could you find that? It was one of the, the last things that he did in his very troubled life. In honor of me coming to the support of uh, Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and of course Neil Young in their battles against Spotify. And remember, they took on Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Recently guilty of making anti-Semitic remarks, but somehow he has not wavered. He has survived. But I did not waver. I continued my support for CSNY and Joni Mitchell. Remember, Bill, that first day when we opened up that email? And it was this song here, customized for the best side of the other side of midnight, not the worst side of the other side of midnight, the Frank Morano show. The music that he has. I mean, where did he get that music from? A garage band? A junior high school band? Horrible. Listen, listen. Elevate this music. Elevate this music. Thank you, thank you, David Crosby. How does the light shine from so high Remember what was he best known for? Getting caught with guns at airports. I believe having his kidney removed. Either his kidney or liver. I think it was his kidney. And then making a donation uh, in a Petri dish. And by the way... Who was the performer that received uh, his donation and then uh, put it in there with a turkey baster into her girlfriend and then a child resulted from that? It wasn't even the traditional three-way. It was the old-fashioned turkey baster way. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Charlie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here. Charlie in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah, hello. This is uh, Charlie. The answer is Melissa Etheridge. That is correct. Melissa Etheridge, who is the beneficiary of receiving the donation of David Crosby, gave his donation in the Petri dish. And then she had a uh, girlfriend at the time who then uh, carried the sperm. Uh, She was impregnated. But then, like many marriages and relationship, uh, that woman went one way and Melissa Etheridge went the other way. Melissa Etheridge, also a survivor of a severe case of breast cancer, I might add. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, no, no, she had it. She had it really bad. They thought that she might perish. She might not be long for this earth, and she somehow survived against all odds. My my wife has stage four colon cancer right now, but she's going to pull through. She she's uh, she's going to make it. She it was closed for a while, but um, you you know, uh, I was uh, real quick before I get to my uh, my last subject. My, my last phone call to you was uh, that I personally knew. Uh, the woman who played Ray Liotta's mistress in Goodfellas, Gina Mustard Kamoko, her, her name was Janice, I think, in the movie, and I spoke at her funeral. But anyway, that's not the subject of my... my well, well, wait, well, that's interesting. You spoke at her funeral. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, boy, that, she had an early demise. Yeah, she was 38, I think she was, uh, 38 years old, and I, I'd see her in the street all the time. And uh, she was a good, nice-looking girl. I knew her from the gym, too, uh, Upper West Side. And she'd always say, hey, what's going on, Gina? And she'd always go, uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I, ha- I just had lunch with Bobby and Martin, you know, William Scorsese and De Niro. And after a while, it started to sound like BS, you know. So then I would tell, if I would see her, if I would uh, be with somebody and I'd see her come and I'd say, look, look this chick's going to come up and she's going to start saying she has lunch with, she just had lunch with De Niro. And she'd do it every time. About a year later, I didn't see her for a year. I'm sitting in the movie and I'm watching this scene in the Copa and I see her and I thought, oh man, they put her, she knows uh, Scorsese. They put her in an extra uh, spot. And then she starts talking. And then she's got this whole big part. So then another six, eight months goes by, and I see her on the street again. And I go, Gina, I thought you were crazy. I used to make fun of you. I didn't believe you. She goes, nobody did, Charlie. She always called me Charlie, Charlie. Mm. And you know, she really talked like that. She's from Long Island. So she, she couldn't even t- turn off the uh, the accent. She did a couple of Seinfeld episodes. And then she was in L.A., not working too much. And, uh, not, and then I ran into her in L.A. Went to her party, went to her uh, some wedding party, some her no her birthday party, and uh, blah blah blah. And I stayed in touch with her, and then uh, she went to Cedar Sinai for a routine uh, routine something with her stomach, and then she got a bacterial heart infection, and wow. she just died. It was bizarre. Wow, she was uh, bizarre. she was she delivered a stellar performance in Goodfellas. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't I didn't think she was an actor, and then she. She had very little training. She didn't go to a lot of acting classes. She met Scorsese somehow. He, he thought he'd she, – because she she sounded so authentic. She really talked like that, you know. And, uh, you know, she was, like, unpretentious. And he thought he'd stick her in the movie, and he didn't. She became, yeah, it's incredible. No, she – she, she, her delivery was excellent. She it yeah. sounded true to life, uh, just yeah. like a lot of yeah. the uh, – Women that we probably knew in growing, or growing up uh, within New York City and Long Island. She nailed it. Yeah, yeah, she did. But she was just being herself, like that actor Peter Green. You know, like that, that guy from, the, uh, you know, uh, oh, that, that movie with, where he plays the sheriff, Zed, uh, Pulp Fiction. Yes. And uh, I, I knew him a little bit, too. And he was just, uh, you know, some of these actors, they just play themselves and are so effective. They're so real that they really became, they become great actors just being them. That's just the way that he was. And she talked exactly like that in real life. I, I She was so real in real life that I thought, no way she's an actress and she's BSing me. Yeah, it's, no it's amazing because there are people who embellish, say, hype, uh, you know, they're a little bit on the cusp of being like a George Santos without being a complete fraud, fake, phony, fagazi. <laughs> but then when you find out that, wow, 
they actually are the people that they claim they are. It's amazing. It's funny you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned George Santos because that's what exactly what I thought she was. It's as if you found out that everything George Santos has been saying was truly true. And, like, you were that surprised. You know, that's, so, that's how I, surprised I was. When, when I sat in that movie and I saw, saw her start to talk like she had a real part that wasn't an extra, I, I, it was like George Santos was really Jewish. You know, it, it was like I was holding my head. I could hardly sit in my seat. I, I think I might have stood up and went to the back and just, like, walked around. I, my mind was destroyed. Yeah, well, you know, oh. uh, I, I found out recently uh, my wife likes to uh, play for me when I have a little bit of downtime. I don't have much, but she plays the old episodes of Frasier. And while I'm standing, oh. sitting there looking out of one corner of my eye, I notice when they go in the coffee shops, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of actors and actresses, you know, acting like they're having conversations or they're serving people. And I actually now pay more attention to see how good they are in fooling me and making me believe that, wow, they look like they actually fit in there, like it's a real-life coffee shop, you know, bistro. Wow. I never did that before. I never, I never watched the other actors and actresses. You know, they work so hard. Oftentimes, uh, all they get are like these little walk-on parts, and they have to put their whole heart and soul into it. You know, they're bussing tables, they're driving cabs, they're working all other kind of jobs. They really love this life, but they never get that big break like your friend Gina got. Or yeah, others yeah, who yeah. labor in anonymity. So they're always in the background in these scenes. Yeah. And I've actually started to watch more about what they're doing because they really make the scenes believable because of how good they are in the background. Yeah, interesting because I'm a musician. And when I see a band or I see an act on TV, I like I'm always paying attention to the drummer and the bass player. Not so much the lead singer, but I want to see what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Cause I could, because I could I know they're the backdrop, you know, they're the, uh, without them, you know, and, and, and it's probably a good casting director when you get fooled by the, you, you know, by, by seeing people who are real in the background. You can thank the casting director for that. He, that's the one that makes the decision who to hire. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's like that and sometimes it's not. Oh, well, well, Charlie, if you go to a musical and you're fortunate enough, I've been fortunate enough a few times to be right up on the lip of the orchestra pit so you can yeah. see down into it the men and women. You know, I'm always fascinated by the person that plays the oboe because <laughs> we were all, we, we always thought in junior high school that whoever played the oboe, it almost seemed like the smartest kid in the school would be playing the oboe. And you always wonder why the oboe? Why would the smartest <laughs> kid be attracted to play the oboe? And then when you look in the orchestra pit, and you see, obviously, the people playing the violins and then in, uh, the horn section and the woodwinds. And then you notice, there's the oboe player. And I say to myself, I'll bet you that was the smartest kid in the junior high school. That's why they, <laughs> they were asked to play the oboe. For what reason? I have no idea. Well, well I, I lived with a bassoon. My girlfriend was a bassoon player. She was a uh, Juilliard grad. So that, that that's almost as smart as the oboe, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, I'm thinking of that um, 
that uh, program that's on Hulu, again, that my wife loves, uh, that has Selena Gomez and the two Altacachas there, you know, they, they're doing the podcast, the podcast. And the one guy had a girlfriend who turned out to be the murderer who would play the oboe for the Philharmonic, and then she got bumped one night. She was going to do a solo, a solo as an oboe player. And I'm saying, you can do a solo as an oboe player? And she got bumped for a younger lady who was playing the oboe. Well, well, don't you remember that TV, TV series about the classical music players, uh, uh, musicians having sex and all that? Uh, uh, remember that it was that she won a, uh, a Tony Award for that or something. She won some kind of – there was a TV series. I forgot the name of it. But that was uh, – the person who wrote the book was an oboe player. I never, you know, in my in my younger days, Charlie, I never paid attention to all those nuances. Now I pay more attention to the nuances than I do to the entree, or basically more to the hors d'oeuvres than I do to the entree. Interesting, because uh, one of my best friends uh, who just died recently of cancer, rest in peace, Mike Migliori, he played on Broadway for 20 years, and his wife still plays there, and he was a woodwind player. He was that guy, except that in, on Broadway, the oboe player—they never hire an oboe player. It's always somebody who doubles on something else. Oboe players only work in symphony orchestras. If it's on Broadway, the, you know they're going to have a, a, a wind player that also doubles on oboe. They're never going to hire a, an oboe unless it's some kind of symphony kind of thing on Broadway, which it never is. But there, there was uh, this—I uh, guess it, the thought, because obviously when you went to. Uh, uh, to qualify for orchestra in junior high school. And back then, every junior high school had an orchestra. You know, music, they paid far more attention to music, teaching oh. music, whether it was in chorus, oh, yeah. choral groups. or More, more attention. They, they, they don't do it at all now. No. It's out. It's, it's, it's Reagan cut it all. It's a horror because if you don't have culture that is available to yeah. children when they're coming yeah. up to junior high school, you say to yourself, why, why wouldn't you expose them to that? But even in other junior high schools they visited, because, you know, they'd have visiting yeah. orchestras from time to time. They'd have competitions. And I would yeah. say to the kids, because I wasn't in orchestra. I was in the chorus. Yeah. I would say, that 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 young girl is, is she the brightest kid in the, the, the school? Yeah. And she'd be playing the oboe. She would huh. be playing the oboe. I don't know you, what it was. You know, you know, I used to play. I used to play jazz with a, a guy you went to high school uh, with, Gary Levy. Jerry Remember Levy. Him? Yes. Gary yes. Levy, yes. 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 <laughs> so he was telling he was telling stories about you where you were a really good athlete. You know that that you were ex, you're always an excellent athlete. You were good at football and all that kind of stuff. You know, he was a fan. It was all positive. You know, Gary Levy. Well, hey, 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 wait, wait, hold on. Is that now? Now I'm thinking. Hold on, Gary Levy. That's right. With yeah, Stephen Cohen. Years ago, Gary Levy. He went to the Cayman Islands. He was running a gambling operation, right? No. no. Oh, you, you, you no. just broke my heart. Wrong, Gary Levy. Right. Well, because all no. Jews are named Levy. <laughs> I got the wrong Jew, Gary Levy. It was Stephen Cohen. Stephen Cohen became a doctor. He lost his arm. And I'll never forget Stephen Cohn. We we were playing touch football, and his father was a cutter, 
uh, on Fashion Avenue at that time. So he'd be like working Saturdays. He'd come home. We'd be sitting there. Stephen Cohen's mother made us like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We had milk. And the father came home and said, oh, Stephen, you, you, you like to play with the football here, huh? The football. Yeah. Stephen would say, yeah, Dad. Yeah. He'd say, you know, your brother got 98. He's in Carnegie Mellon. Your last report card was 94. He hit Stephen Cohen. His head spun around on his head like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. The rest of us ran the hell out of the house. I mean, if I got an 88, there'd be a party and a celebration in our house, and he was catching a beatdown for playing touch football. Yeah. yeah. Jewish home, man. Yeah, the guy went on too. to Carnegie Mellon, became a top flight, I believe, surgeon, and then unfortunately there was some kind of accident. He lost his arm. I met him. We were outside of Kane College. There was a demonstration against uh, – a guy named at that time Khalid Muhammad. He was part of the Nation of Islam, spokesperson right. for Schooly Louis Farrakhan. Leonard Jeffrey's father. That's right. And then I saw Stephen Cohen, and he said, oh, Curtis. And he went to shake my hand, and I realized he only had one arm. I didn't ask him how he lost the wow. other arm. But, boy, this is this – is, and Gary Levy, I could have swore Gary Levy was out in the Cayman Islands, was running a uh, – Gambling operation offshore. I don't know. No, no, he was a saxophone player. This was about five, six years ago. When I called you about it, then you definitely remembered him right away. See, it's just been too long see the now. age, the age is catching up on me here, Charlie. It's beginning to encroach on me. I knew Gary Levy then, but not now. I get the wrong Levy. It's like <laughs> Levy rye bread. You know, I get the wrong slice of Levy's rye bread. Curtis, I'm a couple years, old, a couple months older than you. I'm seventy. And, and my my memory is a hundred percent, except for the names. The names are the first things to go, man. Everything is good, but the names. The names go. The first things to go is the legs and the names. Gary, you know. Gary hey, Levy. hey uh, 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 as long as you're talking about music, uh, musicians, before I even start my story, I'm going to tell you something real, real quick, Curtis. I I have a video on YouTube that just went viral, 13 million views. It's me and Steve Harvey on TV, and I'm doing impressions of rappers from 2004, and some guy made a short of it and said, if you look up Eminem's dad, you'll see a picture of Steve Harvey with hair. You'll click it. It's me and him. And it's 13 million hits Steve in four months. Steve Harvey, who, when I met him, you know where I met Steve Hardy, Harvey? In, tr- in Trinity, uh, the Trinity River Valley in Dallas. It was all a public housing project. He was growing up there at the time. He was dropping the F-bomb, Guardian Angels patrolling. He dropped the F-bomb like 52 times. And then later on, when he became such a success as a radio uh, host at WBLS and then actually all the TV programs he's done, I met him again at the uh, at a symposium, uh, a radio symposium at the Best Buy Theater in Times Square, and he was dropping F-bombs again like 52 times. No kidding. Incredible. He, you know, when I did when I did that show, he went back. He went backstage, but he didn't say hello to any of us. He was rolling with FOI, you know, Fruit of Islam, and he was. This is 2004. He didn't say a word to any of us. Just rolling backstage, walking around, and walked back and didn't say hello. Nothing like that. It wasn't the nicest. wasn't like Jay Leno. Hey, welcome to this show. How you doing? None, none of that. Well, I got to tell you, it was like homecoming for him when he saw me. He said, I saw you in Trinity Valley, West Dallas. I said, yeah, the mosquitoes there were so big you could put a saddle on him. And he started laughing because 
Man, that was a bad public housing project. There, it was a marshland around it. And you could see it from downtown Dallas. And the mosquitoes were so big, you could put a saddle on them. Couldn't have, couldn't have been worse than uh, Apsika, New Jersey, right? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, now, again, if they want to watch you on YouTube, uh, how do they access it? Eminem's dad. Just just put on Eminem's dad, and and you, you scroll down, you'll see a picture of Emin, of Steve Harvey with a little fro. He's got hair, and it's it's short. It's one minute, and just just press it. Oh, let, let me tell you something, Charlie. Later on, you're going to hear as I'm playing Melly Mel, "Don't Do It," which is part of the uh, song for uh, Cocaine Bear. Which is just out in theaters now, and it's the last, I believe it's the last film that Ray Liotta uh, had appeared in, performed in before he died in the uh, Dominican Republic. And actually, we're going to talk about Ray Liotta, the pizza twirler out in New Jersey, who the owner-operator of that uh, pizzeria said, look, he didn't make the best pizza, but... He was a chick magnet, and the women would line up, and they would buy a slice just to be able to eyeball him. Long before he became uh, a star, went to University of Miami, and then the rest, uh, you know, the rest of it is history. Jersey Boy, 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Oh, no. Wait till you hear in the segment that Avery prepares each and every week a full hour as he dissects and bisects uh, what it is that Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, had to say in his nationally syndicated program, the worst side of the other side of midnight uh, in the past week. And he actually, like Sid Rosenberg said, that he was a better talk show host than Rush Limbaugh. What the hell are these guys? Are they drinking the same water? Better than Rush Limbaugh? No way. No way. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Johnny calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Johnny. Hey, Curtis. Uh, we spoke the other night about the Creamore situation. My parents had lunch and that. But I don't want to bring this up because the storyline switched over. But t- not too far. Frank Creamore is uh, <clears throat> Martin Dam here in high school where I went to. That's where Bauman from uh, Shauna and Donnie Deutsch went to. But as I was in my last years of high school in the, in the late 70s, I believe it was Mario Cuomo. Was, I think he was running for mayor or governor. I don't know which one it was. I was too young. I was not really into politics. But it was it was a discussion in the class, and we had a math teacher. Apparently, the Cuomo's lived in her neighborhood. I'm not sure where they would live at the point. But um, the, the topic came about, excuse me, about um, Mario Cuomo for governor. And teacher, she got really, like, quiet. She said, you know, we're not, I'm not really fond of him because we have, she goes, we have a lot of problems with their son. And I don't know at this point. Uh, the son, Andrew, he's, he drives his mini bike all over town. He shoots his BB guns at birds. And uh, <laughs> we try telling the parents, and they don't want to hear nothing about the topic. And she's over Tolo. They don't want to know nothing about their son. But it's funny, it came back to you 40 years later about the idea that this guy's a knucklehead, you know, way back when. Even the, the, his own neighborhood didn't even like the guy. Oh, yeah. No, he was a smart ass. When he went to Albany Law, uh, when his dad was the governor uh, up on Eagle Street in the mansion, he would take his muscle car 
and he would go into the parking spots, which were reserved for the students, and he would park parallel to the parking spot, so he'd end up taking two, three parking spots because he didn't park the normal way. And when people would complain, you know, they would complain to the administration, hey, this guy is taking up two, three parking spots. Uh, they would say, well, he's the governor's son. We don't want to... Uh, we don't want to upset him. I mean, he always was privileged. And right now, believe it or not, as you're telling me this, Johnny, he he and his brother Fredo and their, yeah. with their wartime consigliere, Joe Pococo, who uh, carries a baseball bat with him in the trunk of his car, who just got released from federal prison for doing six years on a political corruption charge. They listen intently they're looking at one another as they've hit the mattresses and stir the marinara sauce. And they're saying, uh, as they listen to our affiliate, our FM affiliate, WLIR, the East End of Long Island, we'll get that dirty rat. You know what? That Sliwa. Hey, Cuomo's, I know you're listening out there. Andrew, evil eyes Cuomo, King Cuomo the second, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo the first. I will dedicate my life. To working with that coalition that has emerged, that bipartisan coalition now in the state senate. Uh, state Senator Scoofus uh, has uh, joined the Republicans, and they are going to move to remove the name, the Mario Facha Bruta Como Bridge, and return it to the Tappan Zee Bridge. Why? Because they remember the salute of the great Bob Grant, the king of all talk radio. Mario, ascend me. And he was. And Andrew is. And Fredo, with a muscle between both ears, certainly is, too. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Check this out on the weekends. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Vision, dreams of passion. And all the while I think of you. A very strange reaction. The more I see, the more I do. Baby. Tell all your friends they can go my way, pay your toll, sell your soul, pound for pound, cost more than gold. The longer you stay, the more you pay. My white line go a long way, either up your nose or through your fame. With nothing to gain except killing your brain. Dream. 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 
yeah. The Cocaine Classic. Melly Mel, White Lines. Don't do it. But then again, they were all doing it. Remember when I told you that story a few years before? Curtis Blow, these are the breaks. When he came up to the Guardian Angel headquarters in the Bronx and all the guys and gals in the group, oh, that's Curtis Blow, these are the breaks, the number one song in America. He had just been on Trade. Don Cornelius, right? And he came up to the headquarters and he said, I'm going to help the Guardian Angels. And I said, I'm going to help you get your ass down the stairs one way or the other. What do you mean? What do you mean? You got a Coke spoon you're wearing. Curtis Blow, I know what that means. You're promoting cocaine, which I have seen people use and become psychotic killers, man, because they become so paranoid, so schizophrenic. I told you when I grew up with the uh, Joey Test and Anthony Centaur, of the uh, Gemini Lounge and then uh, Patty Testa and some of those Gabons. I knew them before they were using cocaine. And they were a little screwy. But then after they used cocaine, they were out of control. Maybe killed upwards of 200 people Khashoggi style. I've had these conversations with my wife Nancy. I said, man, that is the absolute worst drug. Cocaine. I have seen people flip. They do those lines, and then all of a sudden, they don't trust their own mother, their own father, their own brother, their own sister, never mind strangers. But the reason uh, we're playing this song, the 1983 classic by Melly Mel, White Lines, Don't Do It, is because it is the opening uh, tune to the trailer that shows the cocaine bear. That's right. It's a new movie that's out there in the theaters. And the bear is like killing people because it's done cocaine. Supposedly, you know, kilos of cocaine were dropped from high in the sky. And the guy who was transporting them when he parachuted down died. And then the bear came, started sniffing the guy and then decided, man, he's got smelly socks on. But what the hell is in this plastic bag? And then started doing blow. And then started attacking everybody that he came across. Meantime, the reason we play this is because it's a true story that inspired a film, and I believe it's the last film that Ray Liotta made before his untimely demise. He died in his sleep in the DR while he was doing another movie, The Dominican Republic. And let's face it, when you think of Ray Liotta, you think uh, of Goodfellas, but you think of so many other films. But when I think of Ray Liotta, I say, how did this, uh, how did this guy make his bones early in life? Because he was not a man of wealth. He was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth, big enough, get it, spoon. Starting to sound like Eric Adams here, you know, when he's talking about reefer. Get it, joint. Get it. No, 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 no. I don't mean that kind of spoon, a Coke spoon. That was Curtis Blow. These other breaks. And I told him, I'll kick your ass down the stairs. You leave either that way or out the window. Oh, yeah, man. I, I was going to help you, Guardian Angel. Don't do it. What, what is he, like a reverend? Like they all become reverends? And now he's uh, attached to that so-called hip-hop hall of fame uh, that they're going to open or build in the South Bronx, that they're milking all kinds of contributions. Five million from Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who claims he's the hip-hop mayor. 
Give them $5 million of our tax dollars, right? Did Melly Mel give them any money? Hell no. Did uh, Jay-Z now, who wants to invest in a casino in Times Square, did he give him any scattle? No. Nas from the Queensbridge Project? No. He did he? You know, uh, no. He said, he said, how come they're not giving money to the Hip Hop Hall of Fame? You know, they get a tax deduction. It's a 501c3. Maybe they know who's running the Hip Hop Museum and... Uh, they have taken the position of uh, reverse Reagan, which is uh, they don't trust, and they know you can't verify with the people who run that. Anyway, the federal government is giving money to the schmuck to punch Chuck E. Cheese humor, and of course, Jeffries, who at some point in the future will become the Speaker of the House when the power shifts. From the Republicans who are barely hanging on to a three-person majority, and that includes uh, <laughs> George Santos. You'll hear that interview that Rob Astorino had in our final hour. He had some uh, some new lies to expose everybody to, and he says it with sanctimonious pride. That fake, phony, fraudulent, forgazing. But anyway, as I say, uh, that uh, hip-hop hall of fame that you hear so much about in the South Bronx, and the mayor, the swagger man with no plan, he has left Club Zero Bond. He is no longer on site. Remember, he is upset because his younger brother, Bernard, who had been uh, put on his Intel security unit, put in charge of it, Although he couldn't pay him originally the $244,000 that he wanted to give him, claiming he would have been a deputy police commissioner, yeah, over my dead body. And then eventually he was forced to just pay him a dollar a year. And so Bernard has told him he's going back to parking cars at the University of Virginia Commonwealth, where he was when Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, tapped him into leading his uh, security effort with the NYPD. But I digress. I don't know if you're aware, but Ray Liotta, when he was making his bones growing up in Jersey, trying to remember, what was the high school that Ray Liotta went to? I think it was um, Union High School. I think he graduated from Union High School in about 1973. I think I'm a year older than he would have been. And he was born in Newark, like so many other people, in 54, the same year I was birthed. But he was adopted out. And uh, the parents who adopted him were politically charged. They were actually running for office as Democrats. And as a young kid, he'd be out there doing lit drops, going door to door with them. They never won election. But uh, he was a hustler. And then I believe he got his job uh, making pizzas at the Pizza House Pizza Chef, located at 123 Northern Union Avenue in Cranford. And I remember in an interview, the owner-operator said, oh, we loved having Ray Liotta, especially in the uh, summers when he was off from school, because just him sitting there, Staring out of the window as he was pounding the dough, you know, they pound the dough, flatten it out, 
and get ready to start twirling it, and then they put the sauce in it, and then eventually the Parmesan cheese, and then they put it into the oven. That with his ice blue eyes and smile, and when he'd start twirling that pizza in the air and spreading sauce on the dough and the Parmesan cheese, the girls would flock there. And in order to observe him, they'd be buying slice after slice after slice. But the owner-operator said it wasn't really wasn't a good pizza maker, but he was a chick magnet. I think from 71 to 73 during his summer vacation, they have pictures galore of Ray Liotta making uh, pizza at that Cranford pizzeria. But the reason I mention that is because I was stunned to learn last Sunday night. Remember, I went out to Lenny's for the last slices that were served up. I did not bogart the line. No, 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 no. I did not bogart the line, even though uh, uh, the family there wanted me to cut the line. And people were standing in line for hours. The uh, lines uh, worked its way around the block on 86 underneath the L. And I said, no, I'm not cutting the line. I'm not doing a Frank Morano. You remember that Mama Luke talked about how he cut the line at the uh, William Shatner uh, presentation. Uh, with about 80 uh, so-called family members, you know, that was nonsense. He didn't have 80 family members, but he, he brought in every friend, anybody who had gone to Tottenville High School with him, snuck them in, said that they were his friends, and then cut to the front of the line with them. I just don't do that. But as I was observing the end of a great tradition, 70 years, 70 years of Lenny's Pizzeria, they're closed for all time now. Closed. It came to my attention that each and every day, seven days a week, 500,000 pizzas are made and consumed in New York City, all different varieties of pizzas. 500,000. That's an incredible amount. Not only the mom-and-pop pizzerias, but the growing number of the... Uh, Chain uh, stores, I don't like their pizzas, but they sell pizzas. Even into like a 7-Eleven that will sell its form of a little pizza. And then you go to the frozen food section and the supermarkets, they have their pizzas. All these different pizzas add up within the five boroughs of the city of New York. 500,000 are made and consumed each and every day. That is incredible. Our number is one 800 that's 1-800-848-WABC. And I said to myself that pizzerias have always been a sanctuary, oftentimes for guys getting out of jail. Guys get out of jail, they get hired at the local pizzeria, maybe because they were related to the owner-operator or they were friends with the owner-operator or they were friends with other workers there at the pizzeria. I think of Hiram Montserrat, who is the state senator, who represented Corona, Elmhurst, Jackson Heights. He came out of the police department just like Eric Adams, except um, he came out on a psych disability pension. A psych, psychiatric problem he had in the department. And he went on to run for city council there in Corona and won. And then went on to uh, run for state senate. And then was bilking nonprofit funds. He ended up going to jail for that. And you saw him when he slashed his girlfriend. And instead of taking her to nearby Elmhurst Hospital, took her out to uh, 
I forget which hospital, way out in Nassau County or Suffolk County, Jewish something, I forget the name of it. And he was very dear friends and still is with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. I don't know what it is about Eric Adams. He loves to hang out with the uh, worst of the worst, which is Hiram Montserrat, former state senator, corrupt. And I wouldn't doubt that Hiram Montserrat joins him when he uh, has these smoking sessions with the Cohiba cigars at some of these cigar bars. Uh, John Sampson, the former corrupt majority leader of the Democrats in the state Senate, had his office in Canarsie on Flatlands Avenue. He's out of jail now. He's probably hanging out with him, along with Malcolm Smith, the most corrupt and crooked of all state senators. All of them around. And I wouldn't doubt that Norman Seabrook now, released from jail early after bilking the pension funds of the correctional officers of the city of New York. What a double disgrazia. They let him out early. And this guy used to be smoking cigars all the time. And he'll be smoking at these cigar bars, no doubt, friends of Eric Adams. I'm going to call it F-O-E-A or F-O-A, friends of Adams. And they'll all be lighting up those Cohibas, smoking up a storm. And Eric Adams, when he's questioned about that, will say, oh, I'm mentoring them. I'm mentoring them. You know, make sure they stay on the straight and narrow path. Maybe maybe that's his excuse for befriending our own Sid Rosenberg. Oh, I'm mentoring Sid Rosenberg. Fadabla. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And the reason I mention pizza as a work, as work you might get when you get out of prison or jail, is that when Hiram Montserrat got out of jail for corruption, for bilking a nonprofit as a state senator, he ended up getting a job. I don't know if he was a quasi part owner of a pizzeria in Corona. Not, not, not in the uh, remaining Italian section, which has so few Italians there near uh, Parkside, uh, the uh, restaurant there owned by the Genovese crime family, uh, Big Tony. And then you have Corona Ices across the street, and then you have Spaghetti Park. It used to be a huge Italian-American community where the community lawyer was Mario Facciaprota Como. That's how he made his bones politically. But now it's uh, mostly Hispanic, mostly uh, uh, immigrants who have come in uh, legally and illegally there. But still, there are a few remaining Italians. So Hiram Montserrat both worked and I think was part owner of a pizzeria upon his release from jail. You happen to know, please let me know, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And interesting because one of the things you see on a regular basis with the attempt to close these illegal weed shops, these pop-up shops, uh, the bodegas that sell illegal weed, the guys who stand on the corner and they have the cardboard box and they're selling nickel and dime bags, they're selling powder cocaine, they're selling shrooms, they're all over the place. And you see from time to time on the news a guy who's called Anthony Miranda. He has on the uniform of the New York City Sheriff's Department. It's not an enforcement agency. It's not a police agency. It is a revenue agency. All they do is write up tickets, seize cars, padlock uh, buildings, and then you got to pay them off. And the Sheriff's Department has always been corrupt. And I'm sure it's super corrupt now with Anthony Miranda, who looks like Lurch from the Adams family. You rang... 
How did he get the job with Eric Adams, appointed as sheriff? Well, he was the best friends of Hiram Montserrat, the crook. When Eric Adams uh, was a state senator, he would go to the trial of Hiram Montserrat each and every day and would sit in the first pew. He said, what the hell is wrong with him? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I remember one time stopping on 108th Street in the Little Italy section of Corona. And uh, there's a pizzeria there. Gigalotti's, I think it was. I'm not quite sure. It's, uh, they were involved with uh, tough Tony Federici, who was the owner of Parkside which is at the epicenter of Corona, but they got a lot of pizza shops around there. And I think the next thing I remember, they were taking these guys out in chains and shackles, not at Parkside, but at this uh, little pizzeria in which uh, they were trafficking kilos of cocaine in the shipment of vegetables. <laughs> I said, I just had a slice there. How lucky they didn't slice my throat from ear to ear. Yeah, I remember I would stop at Corona Ice King. It looked at me like, you think you can eat and go, man. You, you're getting the owners upset here. And I remember I went to uh, Parkside at Tough Tony Federici. And I was sitting there, and I told the people that I was with, they're not going to serve me. I'm telling you, they're not going to serve me. didn't matter. At the time, I was uh, living with uh, Melinda Katz. We had two uh, younger, youngest sons, still do, obviously. Cardo's 13, soon to be 14, and Hunter, who just turned 12. And yes, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, she had just uh, won the Queensboro presidency, and she was inviting uh, family and friends to Parkside, and they had a huge spread in the back room, and I said... You know, I think it would be best if I left. And they said, why are you going to leave, Curtis? Why are you gonna? I said, they're not going to serve us. They're not even going to bring out any bread in a basket. Nothing, no breadsticks. And we sat, we sat, and people were talking. And after a while, they got the impression that, and he's right, I said, look, tough Tony Federici is not going to let his staff serve me. They know who I am. I've had words with them before. Why don't, why don't I just go? I got other things to do. I left. Within seconds, Broadway Bill Lee, the bread baskets came out. <laughs> He'll be no everything. 
I, got, I must admit, they have great uh, great food there at Parkside. But I, I don't like the ambiance. I don't like the Genovese guys there. But I did have that slice, and the next thing I know, not at uh, Parkside, another place there. It was 108th. I'm, I can remember. It was right there. Right there. Cucino, Mio, I think. Something like that. It hadn't yet become a Mexican joint. No, no, no. It was still Italian. The next day I see they're taking them out in chains and shackles in the newspapers for bringing in kilos of cocaine. Madonna my. It was a good slice of pizza. I got to admit that. You know, I didn't have the square. I didn't have the Sicilian. I had the, you know, the traditional Napolitano. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But for years, guys would get out of prison, and their first job coming back would be in a pizzeria. You know, they'd have to get the sauce ready. They'd have to get the Parmesan cheese, the dough. Then eventually they'd have to make the pizza, serve the pizza. But it was their way of transitioning out of uh, the big house. Let's go to Tommy, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Yeah, Curtis. Uh, I just want you to know that about six months ago, I heard that Tough Pony passed away. Yeah, no, no. I uh, Actually, I was um, telling the audience that... It's a, it was a quick turnaround. Once he passed away, they had a wake and a funeral, and it went very quickly. It wasn't like uh, sometimes you see three, four days where you'll have the wake, you'll have the funeral. But I'll never forget Tough Tony Federici, owner of the uh, Parkside Restaurant, had the chicken, excuse me, he had the uh, pigeon coop on the roof. Yeah. He had really good pigeons. He had Boston Baldies. He had homers. He was considered a a really good pigeon aficionado. But what would happen is the hawks would fly in from Flushing Meadow Park and try to snatch up some of the pigeons because they're natural predators to the pigeons. And so he'd go up there with his sawed-off shotgun and start blasting it (laughs) in the direction of the hawks. Then they uh, came in from uh, the nearby precinct, brought him to Elmhurst Hospital for a psychiatric evaluation because they thought he was Mashug Ubats <laughs> for shooting at the Hawks. And uh, then they released him. And he went back to uh, doing what he always did, which was sitting there. And everybody uh, paid deference to him like he was uh, like he was the mini godfather in Corona. I used to know the uh, nurse that took care of his mother. When she was ill years ago. Hmm. But uh, you know what else is on the block right there by Parkside? It's the Columbia Social Club. Oh, yeah. I know that. Oh, you hit that. Yeah, yeah right. the Columbia. Right there. It's right <laughs> next to uh, Parkside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those guys be sitting outside on a nice, hot, sweltering day. We used to have a headquarters up on 103rd in Roosevelt in the heart of uh, uh-huh all the new Hispanics that had come in, legal and illegal. But I would go through there purposely, and those guys, they'd be outside, right, to be looking at me like, man, I'd love to be able to deliver you up on a platter to Vinny the Chin and Benny Eggs Mangano downtown along Bleecker Street at the Triangle Social Club. And I'd say, not this time, sorry. Curtis, you're a legend, man. Oh, by the way, by the way, that reminds me. um, You remember Spaghetti Park there? Yeah. 
So I had cousins who would hang out in Spaghetti Park when it was all Italian. And uh, one time I see a guy, Steve, not Italian. He's part uh, Polish, part Italian. But he's, he's on a ladder, and they're going up there, and they're taking the basketball rims down. And everything was uh, painted in the tricolor, you know, the handball court, the Italian flag, the, the backboards, right. the basket. I say, Steve, what are, you, what are you taking the rims down? Oh, we don't play basketball. I said, Steve, that's not true. Come on. Uh, some of the guys, in fact, they went to Cardoza and were on the basketball team and the baseball sure. team. So I said, Steve, why are you taking down the rims? He goes, you know, one yard, cheat to cheat. You don't understand. Rims mean they come over from North Corona. I said, who is they? And then he used words that I can't repeat over the radio. Guys that play basketball. Right. So the idea was they took the basketball rims down because when the brothers would come by with the basketball, there was no rims. And they really didn't play handball. That was really more Italians and Puerto Ricans. So they would go on, look for another another park to play. And the parks department would come, and then they put new rims up. And then that night, <laughs> after the guys had a few beers, then they'd take the rims down. And this happened everywhere. Arthur Avenue, Belmont, anywhere where there was an Italian-American community, the guys seemed to know instinctively we're going to keep blacks out of here. We know blacks like to play basketball, so we're going to take the rims down. So when they come into the park, they're not going to want to hang around because, you know, other than sitting down and playing handball, there was really nothing more to do in the park. Right. But as you know, Tommy, that used to be the tradition. Yeah, I know the deal, Curtis. And all, all the old-timers, when the cops would come by and they'd say the old-timers, hey, who's, who keeps taking the rims down? I don't know nothing. I didn't see nothing. <laughs> what are you talking about, rims? Uh, you couldn't get those guys to – you couldn't get them to burp. You know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, ba- you, you barely knew if they had a pulse. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they'd always claim they had high blood pressure, but then you'd be seeing them eating the lasagna there. You say, you have high blood pressure and you're eating the lasagna. <laughs> uh, everybody, they would say, everybody's got to die sometime. Yeah. And then I would say, and they were looking at me, everybody's got to die sometime. And I knew they didn't mean by me eating lasagna. <laughs> you know what they were thinking. Exactly. He go, hey, kid. <laughs> Everybody's got to die sometime, you know. <laughs> oh man, right, you got it, Tommy. You got it, Tommy. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I need my music here, please, my music. Because one of my adversaries, a guy named Joey Little Joey D'Angelo, was the driver for Sammy the Bull Gravano. His father got killed in a gin mill. So basically, Sammy the Bull became like his second father in Bay Ridge. He'd drive him all over the place. And then one day when he found out that Sammy the Bull Gravano had testified against John Gotti Sr., he had to take the loyalty oath, uh, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery. And you know what that was? He had to go into the trial, Eastern District, downtown Brooklyn, 
John Gotti Sr. and his other Jadrules were on trial. And he had to prove that he was loyal to the Gottis and not to Sammy the Bull, who was his mentor. So he, he, he walked up towards God, uh, he walked up towards, uh, who was it? Gleason, I think was the prosecutor, U.S. attorney. And he, uh, he made like he was cutting his throat. And they hustled him out of the courtroom and all the old timers. Yeah, he's loyal to the Gambinos and the Gottis. Not that rat, Sammy the Bull. And then all of a sudden, one day he gets a call from, gets a call from my enemy of all enemies, the Carrazzo brothers, little Nick Nick Carrazzo and Jojo Carrazzo, who eventually became the consigliere of the Gambino crime family. But they were out of Canarsie, 87th Street around there. And he say, Joe, I got a, got a job for you. What's that? What's that, little Nick? I'm teaming you up with my, my guy, Michael Iannotti. And my, Michael Iannotti was known for using machine guns on people. In fact, he one time went out to the Hamptons. He had a machine gun in the trunk of his car. He was stopped by a state trooper who let him go. I wonder how much he paid off that tr- state trooper. But anyway, I digress. So at that time, little Nick Nick Carrazzo uh, was given the contract to have me whacked by John Gotti Jr., who didn't like doing that. He didn't get along with little Nick, but they hadn't tooled me up enough with the baseball bats outside of Ray's candy store there at 113 Avenue. By the way, you know what uh, Guardian Angels were doing on Saturday morning in the Lower East Side across from Tompkins Square Park? Outside of Ray's, Ray's Candy Store, open 24-7-365, Ray, 90 years old. Took a beat down recently. Didn't miss a day of work. He runs the evening shift. And the Guardian Angels from the Bronx came down. They say, Ray, we got some skills. We're going to fix the whole front of Ray's Candy Store. Everything. They did a great job Saturday morning. I was really proud of them. And we're taking care of Ray, we're taking care of the neighborhood, because it started to slide back into the abyss. But I digress. So here was uh, Joey Little Joe uh, D'Angelo. became the wheel man in the, uh, in the yellow cab that uh, they had stolen. Outside of a triple X-rated uh, porno uh, movie house uh, near LaGuardia in Astoria. Irish guy, Irish immigrant, had uh, gone inside to watch the flicks and then came out and the yellow cab was gone. I, I think it was a setup. I think he left the keys in the in the car. <laughs> Went in and uh, pleasurized himself, came out and then reported that the uh, the car had been stolen. Well, they took it to the chop shop. The old Jamaica salvage, which uh, you could see beyond the right field uh, wall in the old Shea Stadium in the shadow of the seven train. It's called Jamaica Salvage, the largest chop shop in the northeast of the United States. And who ran it? Carmine Agnello, son-in-law of uh, John Gotti Sr., brother-in-law of John Gotti Jr., and married to uh, Victoria Gotti Jr. And so they went inside with that uh, yellow cab, and they uh, fixed it up so that it would be a moving coffin. They cut off the handles inside and glued them back on with crazy Jew, uh, glue because little Nick Nick Carrazzo, who had grown up with me in Canarsie, said, hey, you know, 
If you shoot Curtis in that car, he's going to fight. He's going to try to figure out a way to get out. Hey, Ianotti, don't shoot him in the head. Hey, what are you talking about, little Nick? You know, I whack guys, so they don't tell me how to shoot somebody. Telling you don't shoot him in the head. That's what he tried to do, right? And who was the wheel man? Who was the camp driver? It was Joey, little Joey D'Angelo, had to prove his loyalty by driving that cab. Well, let me speed it up. Years later, 12 years later, because as you know, I had escaped that cab, shot five times with hollow point bullets by Michael Iannotti, who was stuffed under the dashboard of that yellow cab, and then popped up like a jack-in-the-box, just kept shooting me in my lower extremities. First shot, he did try to shoot me right in the head. Luckily, he missed. I don't know if it was because I moved. He missed, but he didn't hit me, and then he just aerated me with hollow-point bullets, and I was able to jump out of the front of the window, front window, and they just assumed I was dead. Twelve years later, Michael Leonardi, John Gotti Jr., Joey D'Angelo get indicted for the uh, kidnap and attempted murder of Curtis Lewa. So Michael Iannotti, he took the coat of Omerta. He didn't give anything up. John Gotti Jr. didn't give anything up. But Joey, little Joey D'Angelo, became a cooperating witness, got on the witness stand and told the exact same story that I had been telling for 12 years. And that was in preparation for four, count them, four federal trials against John Gotti Jr. And it was interesting because... He ended up getting a sentence time served, and I think he testified against about 40 jadrules in different court cases as a cooperating witness. Last time I heard, he was uh, owner with his fiance of a pizzeria somewhere in Staten Island. Man, ain't no way I'd ever go into that pizzeria. Hopefully, uh, he'll slip and fall one day and his tub break his neck. And justice will have been done. I know people say, well, if he testified on your behalf, yeah, you cooperating witness, who gots? That's what he gave me. Anyway, if anybody knows where Joey Little, Joey D'Angelo is nowadays, feel free to call him. Well, 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 well it's the pizza parlor that he owns out there in Staten Island. No, don't worry, I'm not going to show up with a pail of gasoline in a match. I'm not going to torch it. I'd just like to know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Hale, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Hale. Hey, how you doing? I got an interesting story about that Triangle Spaghetti Park, but it takes a little while to get to it. Um, as you know, I'm in the sign business. My worker went on his own, and he was in Forest Hills on Metropolitan Avenue. And his 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 men backed up and hit a tree. It leaned up against the store. The owner says, get down here. You knock the tree down, so on and so forth. So my buddy, we grew up together since we were 20. He's top heavy. He gets in the bucket, does a flip, breaks his ankle. And they're suing a nobody that supposedly hit the truck because they didn't have insurance. So he's laid up in the hospital for six, seven months, so on and so forth. So eventually his businesses dissolve, and he comes back working for me. So we had to put up the lights at Spaghetti Park, 1,000-watt mercury vapors. I had my bucket truck, 
And I always remember any time there's a little old lady or a kid with a carriage, the job stops and you help that person along because they trip, we get in trouble. So anyway, I'm, I'm seeing this under, unmarked car with a, with a zoom lens. I said, look at this. They're looking at Tough Tony's place here, the, the mobsters coming in and out. Come to find out, they were looking at my helper for insurance fraud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now he he he, he has transport plates. He, he's running around Ozone Park delivering cars for all the fucking tough guys. And the feds are following him for like six months, him and his partner. So... Oh, oh, hold on. You can pull him back up. Hell, hell, man. You, you wow. dropped that F-bomb there. Hell, you got to be careful. Oh, oh. oh I'm sorry. It's no, no, it's fun. okay. Yeah, look, hey, it happens. It happens. So so now he's, he gets locked up, okay, because he was loaning money. And and the, the feds got him early in the morning, and, he's, and they put him in the car, him and his buddy, and they... And they said to the feds in the back seat, could you drive a little slower, please? The, the feds go, are you kidding me? You were going 60 miles an hour up one-way streets to drop us. And now you, now you want a joyride? Anyway, he did 18 months. He comes out of jail, and he sells one of his properties. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in and says, you owe $2,000 to the city. For what? Well, remember the tree you backed up on Metropolitan Avenue? Yeah, but the tree was dead. You could have pushed it over with a couple of kids. So that that's my Spaghetti Park story. <laughs> and, and and your nightclub stories are very good. I'm surprised we didn't run into each other at the nightclubs back in the day. Now, which was your favorite places to frequent? Uh, well... Enchanted Garden was the best hmm. over by the golf course. Yeah, I never, I never, I never went to Enchanted Garden. What did you like about that? Oh, it was, it was like a little mansion up on the hill of my golf course. It was really it had nice neon and stuff. All the places, Queens Boulevard, we 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 hit them all up. Um, but it's funny because there was a a way we used to pick up girls, and you might remember this or appreciate it. There's, you remember WBLS in the morning? It would say the color's yellow, the color's blue, the color's oh, yeah. green. You know? Oh, yeah. The color today. Yeah, the color. And then it was also uh, the sign of the day, they, your astrological sign. What's the sign of the day? Correct. Now, you know what that color code was for? No. That was for the police and the detectives. Back in the day, they would run your plate. They would go to a payphone, call up, hey, my name is... Uh, uh, Officer Joe Green, the color of the day is green. The plate number is this. Bump, 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 bump. Now you get the person's name and address. And before we went into a nightclub, especially the ones on Long Island, my buddy and I, and we would do that. We'd walk in, see the girl we liked in the parking lot, go in and say, hey, I, you, your name is Mary. I'm psychic. What? How do you know my name? You live on Fox Drive. What? Wow, you wow, you're psychic. And that's how we started the ball rolling. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Wow. And, and, man, and that then, 
That was that, that was like uh, that was a tremendous line. But go ahead, go ahead, Hale. Oh, anyway, so we made a license plate, a, a fake license plate that says "You are sexy," and and I, I flashed it today on a, on a woman. She loved it. And then you pull up to the light, you flash "You are sexy," and when I do it today, the, the people take selfies right away. Boom, boom, boom. So then at the next light, it would say. To flip the plate around, and say pull over, okay, and instant they pull over. I wind up dating them, being friends and whatnot. Oh, the old club days! Yeah, man, <laughs> quite the player there, Hale. Quite the player. What a roost! Oh. What a roost, man! WBLS, Inner City Broadcasting, Percy Sutton. That's why I got to revive WRKS, the competition. It was so much better, BLS, when KISS was also operating on the FM dial. FM standing for freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and Frank Morano. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. What happened? What happened to my music? My music, 485, 484. Try your best. Try your best. Oh, man, it froze up. Man, that is so disappointing. Damn. Probably an act of sabotage by the Frank Morano crew that doesn't like the fact that my music is more hip, more happening than any of theirs. Oh, my God. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's uh, Bobby calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. See, you're the best. Uh, you cracked me up. Listen, the guy who just called before, talking about Enchanted Gardens in Douglaston, it's a beautiful club. Actually, it was the first club to have blow dryers there, the Joe Namath days, this and that. But <laughs> the owners of that club were uh, Steve Rubell and Ian Schrager, which after that, they opened up Studio 54. Wow, now that was right off the golf course, right? I can't believe you guys don't know that. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't go I'm to Douglas. I didn't really hang out in Douglaston at that. That was Douglaston, well, right? Did I? Mm-hmm. Did I was too young. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. No, I, I didn't. I didn't hang out there, in Douglaston. I didn't even real. To be honest, I'm being honest with you, I never even heard of the Enchanted Gardens. Beautiful clubs. Hey, look it up, and it was owned by Ian Schrager and Steve Rubell, and then. They went to Studio 54. They opened, they sold it, and they got some money off of that. And they uh, looked for a place in the city, and that's how Studio 54 started. I think I remember one time going out to Huntington. Uh, that, that was considered traveling to a different uh, state at the time uh, when you oh, lived in Brooklyn. Long Island? Yeah. I went to a place called Chaz, almost like named after like Chaz Parliamentary, but called Chaz in Huntington. Yeah. But yeah. um, I didn't think it was anything special, so that was my last trip to any kind right. of a location out there. I, I basically stayed BQE, BQE. Yeah, me too. I mean, I went to Pastels, Romeo and Juliet, but my place was the fun house. I used to go there to get every Saturday night. It was great. No, pa- I love Pastels. Uh, Pastels uh, was great. It uh, was Romeo great. and Juliet, I never went, but obviously I was aware of it. But uh, that was right there in Bay Ridge, man. That was like... Man, no, they they were clustered there. You you could go, and then two thousand one Odyssey, uh, yeah. and the the way they tell the story about two thousand one Odyssey is, 
they came originally to Pastels, which I think had a different name at that time before Pastels. Yeah, no, I heard your story. You you mentioned this the other night. I heard that. Yeah, yeah that they wanted to use that location to film Saturday uh, Saturday Night Fever. And they were so busy, they said, they said well, there's, there's a producer here who would like to talk to you about using your facility. Now, we don't got time to talk. You know, it's so busy. And it's true. It was such a busy place. So they then jaunted, uh, sauntered down, down to 2001 Odyssey, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, see, let me ask you another question. I heard that you frequent a place. I don't want to mention the place, but in a story, the guy who runs it is Rocco. You know what I'm talking about, 31st Street? Yeah. Yeah. I'm spending a lot of time in that story. I just opened up the Ronald Reagan Republican Club uh, off of 31st, which is like, the, the you know, the DSA, AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader oh, of the Democratic okay. Socialists of America. They hate that. And uh, we're running a candidate against their uh, candidates uh, who uh, are socialists. And have, basically, they've ruined that area. Ruin that area. Yeah, they did. They did. That's this woke generation. See, it's unbelievable what's going on. I mean, I, I remember Astoria. Uh, yeah. That was like uh, moderate Democrats. Peter Valone Sr. was there. Right. Then his son. Right. And, and they, they were moderate. Uh, and they could get along with Republicans. You know, they were the majority. It was not a Republican right. area. But the DSA now, forget about it. Oh, my God. Forget it. Forget it. Forget and so, it. hey, that's my battle now, taking on the DSA on the Queen side in Astoria and then also on the other side of the Whitestone Bridge in the Neck, in Throg's Neck in the Bronx. Right. Right, right. So I got hey, two two battles two battles going on simultaneously. I got to tell you another quick story. I ran into you when you were living in uh, Forest Hills. It was on Yellowstone Boulevard, right? I just came out of Dunkin' Donuts there. And I saw you, and I, I was like a little shocked. And you were with your two sons, right? Yeah. And they were like, I don't know, yelling, whatever. This and I held the door open for you, and I said, uh, uh, see, I go, you got it, your hands full there. You go to me, tell me about it, tell me about it. Uh, so I go to you, hey, see, if they turn out to be half as you, you're going to be one proud papa. <laughs> Well, see, their mother didn't like me when I'd roughhouse the kids because, you know, my way of disciplining sons. Oh, uh, you got to trickle by. Exactly. But, you know, the mothers, they're like, oh, you got to talk to them. You got to negotiate with them. I said, what negotiate? You don't negotiate. You do it. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to get you something to eat, and I got to negotiate with you? Hell no. You got to be kidding me, see? You got to be kidding me. You did the right thing. Those kids are going to turn out superstars like you are. Well, they don't have the street smarts, uh, Bobby. They don't. The mothers, they, they, they're too uh, nervous about the kids going out there in the streets on their own, their neighborhood. They're going to have the street smarts from the lineage that you're giving them. Ah, the DNA. Um, the DNA, right? That's it. <laughs> that's it. Listen. Listen, when you buy a little cat, right? Yes. A cat. You never, you never had training from the cat's mother or whatever to fight to uh, uh, get a, a mouse. That's true. They do it by instinct. That's, That's true. It. Oh, they're, they're natural predators of the rats, That's the mice, true. the rodents. You're absolutely right. But I will tell you, if you grew up in uh, a Forest Hills area like Kew Gardens, Regal Park, 
I you, run a rat over there. I got a rat over there. I'm still over there. Right. But still, if you grew up there, you're not going to be hardcore. You just, it's not that kind of a neighborhood. That's true, too. Not that That's guy. Now, too. you go across Forest Park uh, to the Ridgewood oh, Reservoir, next stop, Jamaica oh. Avenue, East New York. Now you're talking hardcore. Oh, big time, big time, big time. But you see, that's the difference. So if you're not exposed to that, and I, I'm not suggesting that kids have to grow up that way, but I really do believe that nowadays um, they are too soft, and that's why they're easily yeah. victimized. They don't have street smarts. They you get to be the girls wear the pants now. The guys wear the skirts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they get rope doped. I call it. I hey, say. How, I, long, how long were you in uh, Forest Hills for? How long were you living there? Oh, Ten years, eight years. No, I was there eight years until I got kicked to the curb. I always end up getting kicked to the curb. I, ah, I can't believe they they reach they know. reach a point. Uh, the women that I've been with, they said, "Enough, uh, you're a hot mess." Uh, you got to you got to get out of here. You're a danger to us, uh, you know. Which every woman I've ever been with, except for Nancy, uh, has yeah. been afraid at some point just in being with me, thinking, "Oh my God, they're going to throw a Molotov cocktail through the window." You know, they're going to just they're going to do a. Well, uh, I mean, these women, these wives that you had, your ex-wives, they were with you for a while. I mean, I don't, how long does it take them to? Uh, well, they would see me when somebody would mouth off to me and I'd step to them. They'd get very nervous. They didn't grow up that way. They had no idea. And I, I would tell them, look, if I don't step up to them now, they're going to take that as a sign of weakness and it's going to get worse. So what you're being exposed to now is in small part a little smidgen of how bad it could be if I don't step to them now. Because if I show weakness, if all of a sudden... I don't engage them. The next time, there's going to be a problem, and I'm not going to have the advantage. But they didn't, they, they, they didn't grow up that way. They had no idea of what it's like surviving in the streets. I, but they're all they're educated. They're, they're going to do great, man. They're going to do great. Yeah, no, no, no. I, look, all three of my sons, I'm very proud of them. Anthony is the oldest. He works here at WABC now as an intern. He goes to St. John's. He's uh, into high tech now. And then I have Carter. He's in high school. Just had his bar mitzvah. He'll and soon... your relationship with his uh, father now, the RX uh, governor, he seems like a really intelligent guy. I mean, uh, he's got he's putting uh, uh, knowledge in their brain also because he, he's very intelligent. Uh, yeah, David Patterson. Uh, David Patterson, yeah, I call yeah, him my husband-in-law. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is the stepfather for my son, Anthony. He does a great job with Anthony. Uh, you guys get along, right? There's no problem. Oh, yeah, I get along with David Patterson. I don't get along with the women, that's for sure. I get along with David Patterson. Uh, I'll have a conversation Uh, with David Patterson. Yeah, I'll have a conversation. There's a thin line between love and hate. I'll tell you right now. Oh, my God. That's for sure. You're a superstar. That's all I got to (laughs) say. You can put that in stone. You should have. Listen, did you get... Did you put your fingerprints in Hollywood Boulevard yet? No. It in Times Square, that's for sure. No, no fingerprints yet. The only fingerprints I've ever put on is almost every precinct in every precinct in the city of New York. You're the man. You're the man. See, keep Thank it you. up, man. Keep Thank it up. You. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. Uh, we fixed that. Oh, man. Uh, I'm without my music here. I'm like... Uh, 
Man. Ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, let's go to Donnie, who's calling from the Jersey Shore. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Oh, wait a second. Now we're going to flip the script to news, and then we're coming back with what everybody's been looking for all week long. It's Avery, our nighttime producer here, dissects and bisects Frank Morano. Everything he had to say this past week, he truncates it to a, a way that Frank Morano, when he listens to it, says, did I say that? Did I sound that stupid? Did I see it sound that self-centered? The answer is yes. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I had a dream. We were sipping whiskey neat. Highest floor of the Bowery. And I was high enough. Somewhere along the lines, we stopped seeing eye to eye. You were staying out all night. And I had enough. This obsession that Frank Morano has with Selena Gomez continues as they are now filming for a new season on Hulu. Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short. You know, they have their set right on 86th Street before you hit Broadway in Amsterdam. And Frank Morano can be seen sitting out in a lawn chair. You know, we love you. We love you, Selena Gomez. Big sign. He's got his flip-flops on. Oh, my God. He makes a fool out of himself as a sickle fan, Tony and Lackey. And she gives him no play. Refuses to do an interview with the other side of midnight, Frank Morano. And now the other woman who has dissed and dismissed him on a regular basis, Tulsi Gabbard, lady in white, has blasted her former party. The Democrats saying its core principles and focus on diversity are comparable to Nazism and Adolf Hitler. And, you know, that's a crazy statement to make. But knowing Frank Morano, he will forgive and forget because he uh, he actually worships these women, Selena Gomez, Tulsi Gabbard, and, of course, Cinema in Arizona, who is freaky deaky. 
He says, I admire her because she's bisexual. Frank Marano is a freak. But anyway, uh, once again, we bring on Avery, our uh, nighttime producer, and a man who takes out that uh, sharpened Ginzu knife to chop up uh, the 20 hours uh, that Frank Morano has uh, squawked and talked on WABC, the other side of midnight. And uh, are you prepared, Avery, to plunge forward? Yeah, we're, we're always ready to go over here. Okay. Frank Morano, as we know, is a lush. Oftentimes, uh, he has had like six martinis before 12 noon, and his eyes are rolling back in his head. But he is sworn to say that because he is now the father of Carmine and he has to be more mature, that he is cut back on his drinking. Uh, uh, am I safe to say that, uh, yeah, that's, that's what he's claiming, but we all know better than that. Exactly. And Peter, uh, I believe, called up and... Uh, Listen to what Frank had to say about his drinking now. Uh, let's, um, having a few... Partially successful. Since then, I know my daily consumption has increased. One or two scotches or three has become a norm. As you two prepare for Lent, I wonder if you can share one or two ideas on how I can, one, make it all the way to Easter without alcohol, or two, sharply reduce my... Intake. I don't think I need counseling, but someone with smarts to give me, in a few words, a firm kick in the behind. Have a blessed Lent, Peter. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't drink three scotches a day, but on the weekend, I do three, four, maybe five scotches on Friday <laughs> or Saturday, right? <laughs> so on the weekend, he goes on a bender. He's a lush. <laughs> this is the blind leading the blind. Here, oh, my man. God. <laughs> Why would you call Frank? To, for, for, for pointers on not to drink. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like Frank is the poster child for prohibition. Yeah, I would call Frank like, Frank, man, I'm usually, I usually drink like three drinks a day. How do I kick it up a notch? <laughs> <laughs> That's the call I'm making to Frank. I mean, he has no problem acknowledging he has four or five scotches on the weekend when he's half in the back. But he's trying to, he said he's going to kick two for Lent. <laughs> that, that's just not gonna happen. Like, give me a give me a couple squares on that pool. No, 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 no. It ain't happening. And then that is not happening. Then Frank uh, said, you know, whether it's Silver Lake or it's the Richmond County uh, Golf uh, Club, he's just not into golf. He uh, and I were talking about the appeal of of golf, and I get it. I get it. I. It's not for me. It's not something. It's not how I want to spend my time. And. I love competition. I love sports. I love skills that you can improve at. I prefer ping pong. I prefer pickleball. I prefer softball, uh, even flag football. Golf, just not for me. Flag football, Frank? <laughs> he, little Deion Sanders? Pickle, pickleball. Yeah. He, oh, come all, on. All these alternative sports. I mean, come ping, on, Frank. Ping pong is real. Ping, ping pong is a real sport, but you got to be like Super Saiyan really nice for it to really, you know, he claims to be that nice. Let me tell you something. His father taught him baseball, the fundamentals. His father, Carmine, did a great job <laughs> teaching him the fundamentals. But you see, he objects because his father taught him how to be a first baseman, and he claims ever since then he's not able to throw properly. But he said softball. 
He didn't say baseball. He said softball. <laughs> and then flag football, and, right? Yeah, the, the gray goes. Oh, my God. Right, take, taking it back 98 yards. <laughs> and now they were all for touch. They were having a party here in the studios at WABC, the Frank Morano's Jadrules. We have Matt Blaze, definitely a fugitive from law. You have Alex, the uh, uh, Frank Morano producer, who's got his schnoz all the way up Frank's tuchus. Uh, and you got Ken, the uh, runway model, who cannot chew gum and think at the same time. But all oh, they were so happy because they have some free tchotchkes, some free giveaways, magnets that you put on a refrigerator. <laughs> My efforts to get consolation prizes for the $1,000 Minute participants have come to fruition. So I'm going to put you on hold, give Kenneth your information, and we are going to send you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight magnet. Right. So um, now those magnets are not available for purchase, right, from the online store? No, we, we only have it that they are uh, for prizes. Okay, so this, As of right now. there you have it. So th- this is a real treat. This is something that you can't even purchase. Hold on to that. Hold on to that magnet. It could be worth something one day. It's a premium. A premium. You can't even buy these on the website. Limited edition. Limited Super edition. Limited. People, Super limited. people are sitting out in their lawn chairs outside of the studios at WABC. Like Black Friday. <laughs> oh, my God. A Frank Morano other side of Midnight magnet. magnet. Oh, my goodness. A magnet. Oh, he was so. they were so proud. They were so excited. Now we gotta. Now we just need something to be proud of to put on the refrigerator. <laughs> that never works, by the way. I, I, mean, I remember those magnets on the refrigerator. You never read anything on the refrigerator door. And then, you know, we talk about drinking the same water. We know that uh, Sid Rosenberg is an egomaniac with all capital letters. He talks only about himself. He's the best, not like the rest. The other day when I was on at 7.05 in the morning, because I'm on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7.05, he was talking about how he was more entertaining than Rush Limbaugh on the anniversary of Rush Limbaugh's passing. And then I, I hadn't heard Frank say this, but apparently Avery, he said he's not only better than Rush Limbaugh, but Howard Stern? Oh, man. Man, what is up with this guy? I think... You know, I can do the kinds of things that uh, Howard Stern can't do, that Rush Limbaugh couldn't do. And I can experience things that normal people can experience. I can take the bus or the subway and nobody knows who I am. I, I can go into a, uh, a cheese shop and not be mobbed with people wanting to talk to me. For the most part, I experience life just like a normal person. And I can relate to all the same kinds of things that a normal person deals with. He can he can relate to us normal people. Every day he comes down from the mountaintop to dwell amongst us, the the, the, the regulars. <laughs> he's a he's a superstar masquerading as a normal guy, and oh. he gets away with it every day of his life. I this guy. <laughs> can I hear that again? He's actually saying. That he's better than Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern? That, that's worse than what Sid Rosenberg said. I think, you know, I can do the kinds of things that uh, Howard Stern can't do, that Rush Limbaugh couldn't do. And I can experience things that normal people can experience. I can take the bus or the subway. Of course. And nobody knows who I am. <laughs> yeah. I, I can go into a... Uh, 
a cheese shop and not be mobbed with people wanting to talk to me. What For cheese the most shop is part, this? I experience life just like a normal person. And I can relate to all the same kinds of things that a normal person deals with. God. Every day he comes home, woo! (laughs) Made it. (laughs) They didn't didn't notice me. Whoa, man. Oh, my God. That was a close one. What an egomaniac. Man, I can do, I'm just like how I'm starting them, but I can do regular things because people don't notice me. You are normal, Frank. My, no, no, my. You are a normal human being. Anyway, uh, you know what it gets like with Frank. Uh, he gets into that Trekkie talk, and it attracts all kinds of nerds. So you have the attracting nerd, which is Frank Morano with the pocket protector. And then it's the nerdy calls because he keeps talking about Star Trek. And who else? William Shatner. David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Which alien would you prefer to be the first contact with? And which one would be the worst? And I'm just going to put this in. Um, Disqualifying the Vulcans because that's who first contact was with. And the Borg, because that's probably the easiest one to say would be the worst. That's exactly what I was going to say. All right. So let's see. The best first contact um, uh, scenario. Let me think here. In the Star Trek universe and the worst. All right. Well, the worst, I'm going to say, is going to be probably the uh, species uh, 8672 from uh, Star Trek Voyager. Do you remember them? They're the ones that even yes. the Borg was afraid of. So they seem pretty pretty rough. Uh, 8472, that was it. Species 8472. So that's my okay. least um, favorite first contact scenario. In terms of the best first contact scenario, I'm going to say the I'm going to say the Bajorans. They seem pretty pretty innocuous uh, for the most part. And um, I said no, not the Bajorans. Excuse me, the Trill. The Trill, not the not the Bajorans. The Trill. Like somebody was going to go, aha, I got you. Like, <laughs> this is a, this is supposed to be a national syndicated show. Oh man, he's saying numbers. Like I don't even like I don't watch Star Trek, but those were numbers. He said for a species, no, a species number eight four seven nine. That's what. That's who I'm going to go with. Wow. What kind of what, what, what kind of show is this, man? Mm mm mm. And then, and, then, and then he has the and then he has the nerve like to to act like there could be a wrong answer here, like <laughs> <laughs> everybody's like just get on with it. <laughs> oh no 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 not the Bagorn. No 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 no. Ooh, do I get another guess? Yeah man, go ahead. Just just, just let it fly. By the way, uh, he's such a trekkie, as you know. Did he talk at all last week about? Wanting to uh, jump on that spacecraft that's going to take uh, Nichelle Nichols' ashes uh, into the stratosphere. Did he? Did he mention that at all? No, not that I heard. Well, you know him. What, what, didn't he at one time say, "Oh my God, she is drop dead gorgeous, Nichelle Nichols"? Did he say that? That, that, that got past me. I'm pretty sure. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight. W-A-B-C, and then he talked about his dream come true, better than a wet dream, uh, to be able to sit and have dream interviews with trendoids, freakasoids, jet setters, celebrities, the infamous 
and the famous. I have wanted to do a series of interviews with William Shatner discussing Star Trek for so long that now that I've done it, what else do I have to strive for? So I'd at least like something or someone to be the next goal that I can pursue. So maybe you can give me some. Maybe it's someone that I haven't thought of, or maybe it's somebody that um, hearing you suggest it will give me the wherewithal to kind of reach out to them. And this is crazy, man. He, he wants he wants this dream list of people. This is this is this is also called the group of people who wouldn't be caught dead on his show. <laughs> what are you setting yourself up for, Frank? Here, keep hope alive. <laughs> who can, who can you get? That who have you had in the, in the past of the caliber <laughs> of the people that's about to be named here? You keep, have high hopes, my friend. Keep hope alive. Well, yeah. here it is. Uh, listen to the call in especially from Gary in Inwood. I am constructing a dream list. Who should be on it? Gary in Inwood, who do you think? Good morning, Frank. Uh, for my own benefit or satisfaction, Tom Selleck from Blue Blood. Ah, that's a good one. That's <laughs> a great go. pick. You know, <laughs> have, you. Have, you, have you heard him interviewed elsewhere? <laughs> yes, I have. I've heard him on the, and I thought it was going to be really touchy. He was on The View. And it went very, very well. On The View, Frank, a national TV show. Not not your platform, Frank, The View, a national TV show where he's probably he was probably uh, pitching something, a book or anything. And then he decided to run through a panoply of callers and guests that he lusts after. Um, Kevin in Baltimore, who do you have for us? Oh, no, you too. Jerry is in Brooklyn. Who do you have for us, Jerry? Dolly Parton. Nope. I, I thought this would be interesting. Uh, Bill Cosby uh-uh. to talk about his career and then see if he wants to admit anything. Maybe. Bert in Ukraine, who do you have for us? Given your views on the war in Ukraine, um, it would be interesting to hear a discussion, an interview with Sean Penn. <laughs> Jimmy. How about the good, interesting guy? He's got some common sense. Denzel Washington. Ooh. Denzel Washington. Okay. Uh, he's not, I wouldn't have thought that, but okay, I could see that. Yeah, I, 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 divided, I divided that group into three categories. Not a, not a chance in hell, not a snowball's chance in hell, and then not an ice cube's chance in hell. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> he was getting uh, pimp slapped around, and then all of a sudden, uh, there was a caller. I think it was Leslie of Forest Hills who tried to straighten him out. Leslie is in Forest Hills. Hello, Leslie. Uh, Melinda Katz, the district attorney of Queens County, and Curtis Sleeve's ex-wife. She has got to be the most boring person in the entire world. I mean, it, to me, I don't find her to be that interesting. And again, she was always nice to me when she and Curtis were uh, in a relationship. But uh, now I'd love to talk to her about that. She's uh, a total political partisan hack. See, he'd like to take uh, that stuff and put it out there man. for everybody. Yeah, he, 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 I'm telling you, he's coming after you, man. I'm telling you, man. What what is it? This guy? He's a, a wash woman. He got back. He got he got somebody backing him. He got those two knives in his pocket. <laughs> he, I'm telling you, first it was bananas. Now he's going after this. He, he's coming after you, man. He is coming after you. Yeah, he still hasn't returned that Chiquita banana. <laughs> hey, don't count on it. He's going after your family history now. He's well, moved on. Wait till you hear this. His wettest of all wet dreams 
would be a roundtable discussion. I would love to do a roundtable, and I'm being sincere about this, with all four of Curtis's wives and Melinda Katz, right? So you got uh, Corinne, Lisa, Mary, who's now the wife of Governor David Patterson, Melinda Katz, and Nancy. Now, that, that would be like pay-per-view, okay? That would be the kind of show, that would be the kind of interview I'd love to do. I would pay them to be able to do that interview. (laughs) He'll have enough material for like 15 shows. What is that, him, alligator arms? (laughs) He throws nickels around like manhole covers. Hey, he'll do the same preparation for that as he did for Shatner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of Shatner. He almost got it all choked up because Shatner was singing, he thought, to him. This is uh, a song called Real. I'd love to help the world. This is from William <laughs> Shatner's 2004 <laughs> album, Has Been, which is, I think, one of his best albums, actually. And this is a duet that he does with Brad Paisley. And I actually asked Shatner about this on Saturday in Englewood. Of course you did. I asked him, you know, people expect you to be the characters that you play. But you're just a regular person. And there's a whole movie with that premise called Free Enterprise, which I can't recommend enough. And this song really hits home. It's about, you know, he wishes he could fight Klingons and uh, arrest bad guys and get and uh, try murder cases. But he's just a regular person. And uh, I really, this really struck a chord with me. I really enjoy this. Let me hear a little more of it. <laughs> God, this is horrible. Hey, Blaze, turn it up some more. <laughs> Man, Shatner, he, why, why do I have to be human? Why can't I really fight Klingons and really solve crimes? Oh! And he'll be playing that over and over and over on repeat with his headphones. Oh, and, God. And he keeps playing up this relationship with Shatner like they really bonded. <laughs> Frank, he didn't want, he, he didn't want to pay a moderator. He gave you a box lunch and let you sit in on his, on his conversation with other famous people. Mm, mm, mm. All right. He was getting choked up when talking about his mentor, the number one person that he looks up to throughout the world, William Shatner. Tell me what your take is on this and if these three objects have altered your view at all of what your initial reaction was to the Chinese spy balloon. What the Chinese balloon did, and and I believe we've been sitting still for Chinese balloons and Russian balloons and for years, Um, ever since um, the 1960s when President Eisenhower negotiated open skies with Nikita Khrushchev. He also negotiated open skies with the extraterrestrials. But uh, so we've been sitting still for this for years. Hold on a second. Did I hear... Negotiated with extraterrestrials, Eisenhower? Yeah. I mean, like, Frank, why don't you challenge this when this guy say this on your air? I mean, he just said it real fast, too, like like, like it was normal. Well, we'll slow it down. Now, play that again, Broadway Billy, and listen meticulously to every word dripping, dripping from this guy's lips. Tell me 
what your take is on this and if these three objects have altered your view at all of what your initial reaction was to the Chinese spy balloon. What the Chinese balloon did, and and I believe we've been sitting still for Chinese balloons and Russian balloons and for years, Um, ever since um, the 1960s when President Eisenhower negotiated open skies with Nikita Khrushchev. He also negotiated open skies with the extraterrestrials. But uh, so we've been sitting still for this for years. Huh. Mm. Huh. Mm. So 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 uh, when Eisenhower negotiated open skies with the extraterrestrials and blah, 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 Frank just listens and goes, oh, interesting, interesting, <laughs> interesting. I'm like, hold on, rewind that back? Hold on. Hold on, you said something a, a little while ago about extraterrestrials and the president. Uh, you want to expand on that? <laughs> nope. Nope, 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 a nope. thousand times nope. Nope, I guess, I guess, you know, if he said it, it's true. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Speaking of Mama, this is the ultimate Mama Luke, Frank Morano. Ultimate Mama Luke. This is the Intruders. I always loved my mama, which is certainly true in my case. I got to see my mom uh, yesterday. This was a birthday bumper music selection from a week ago from John Gotti Jr. We asked John what kind of music he wanted to play uh, for bumper music selection, and this was one of his selections. But even John Gotti Jr. can't jump the queue here on uh, the other side of midnight. Got to wait until the song is approved and... We get it in the queue there. What do you mean approved? I play that every week as his theme song. Every week about him. (laughs) (laughs) Gotti called him up and said, if I don't hear my song, it's going to be some issues. (laughs) 
I'm, a, I'm sending guys down if I don't hear my. It's been a week already. Oh my God! I gotta get it clear, Mister Gotti. <laughs> okay, <laughs> approved. You play it. When I heard that, I'm like, Curtis plays this song every week. That's his theme song because he's such a mama Luke. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, I gotta get it approved. I gotta get it approved. You know, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of red tape, Mister Gotti. What is wrong? He's like the number one sickle fan, Tony and Lackey of John Gotti Jr. This guy tried to have me killed. <laughs> he got to play music. Oh, my God. Play my song. Play my song, Morano. <laughs> oh, my God. Play my, play my song in the first hour of your show. Tell them when to play it. Oh, man. And then, of course, uh, Frank Morano gets into his extraterrestrial space travel, UFOs, Roswell, New Mexico, and here's one of his specialists, or at least he labels him a specialist, Mr. Burns. The government still, to this very day, covers up. And if they were, um, <clears throat> once they had to shoot these things down, if, first of all, if they were alien uh, technology, you have a, a, a real alien UFOs, I don't think they'd be shot down by a sidewinder missile. Why would I say that? Because we have been chasing UFOs in the skies ever since 1952 when the UFOs invaded Washington, D.C. We shot one down in West, over West Virginia in 1952. But we haven't shot any UFOs. Well, there's one over um, Lamstein Air Force Base in Germany in the 1970s. But by and large, when a UFO wants not to be shot down, they're not shot down. What the hell? He lets this guy just say anything on the show. Now, look, whether it's true or not true, but follow up, Frank. <laughs> I was, that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. We've been shooting these things down. Okay, we've had contact with these things. Okay, and, and let's move on. Like, Frank, you, I don't understand why you don't challenge these people. Gosh. I remember David, he challenged you because you, you, you let the general guy come on your show and you didn't challenge him either. Man, what is it with Frank? I don't know, but it's, but this is like this is not like little things he's saying. Like, no, no, he, not at all. These are huge, huge claims. They attacked the White House. <laughs> they, we've been shooting them down for years. <laughs> Frank is like, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, all right. <laughs> Have some credibility, man. <laughs> you know, we've been shooting them down. You know, they got little death rays that can move, that, that can read your mind too. You, did you know that, Frank? Oh yeah. What is wrong with him? He never, like, somebody can make the most ridiculous statement in the world, and he's just, oh, it's plausible. That's very yeah, plausible. You're not going to come on my show and just say anything, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then, and then, you talk about capitulating, folding, and not asking a follow-up question. And, yes, the extraterrestrials, which we are, I mean, we, we are E.T., the extraterrestrials, our colonial overlords, do not want this colony to be destroyed by itself. It's getting worse and worse. Now our <laughs> colonial overlords, our colonial overlords, don't want <laughs> Okay. Oh, my God. Hey, man, like, it's a reason why he's doing your show, Frank, and not like some huge... Oh, huge, my God. Like, colonial overlords, we've been shooting these things down. The president <laughs> negotiated with extraterrestrials. <laughs> For for for, for um, open skies, Frank man, I, I, are we gonna get a rebuttal question at all? Oh man, I gotta tell you, I gotta take a break because you know what's coming up next.
More Shatner, more Captain Kirk, more Shatner, more kissing his butt, more Shatner idolatry, more Shatner all the time with Frank Morano here at WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. In I think what I'll do, Avery, is uh, I'll put this song on loan to Frank Morano, his version of The Other Side of Midnight, so he could have a classy intro instead of that uh, garage band crap that he wraps around his show. Hey, you, know, you, you, know that, you know that guy passed away, right? No. What happened? Yeah, he passed away a little bit ago, man. You mean the guy who used to call up screaming at me because I was making fun of his music? Yeah, Andy B. Oh, well, another one bites the dust. Oh, man. Hey, you called for that one, man. <laughs> time, time to get some new music, Frank. Anyway, everything of late, ever since he was on the stage in Red Bank and Englewood with William Shatner, Captain Kirk, everything is Shatner, 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 Shatner. Diana is in New Jersey. Hello, Diana. Hi. hi. Yeah, hi. Um, I was just reading a book about Lucille Ball. It was just quite interesting. <laughs> but I thought one of her children, either Desi Arnaz Jr. or Lucy Arnaz. You know who she's married to? I believe she's still married to him. Lawrence Luckingbull, who uh, played Spock's brother in Star Trek V, which was directed oh, boy. by William Shatner. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, told you, I told you, Kurt, he mentioned Shatner so much. I had to call a dictionary people. I am officially I am officially making Shatner's name also a verb because of Frank. So this is called being <laughs> Shatnered. This is when he when he's coming right down the pike at you talking about Star Trek, you can kind of brace for it. But to be Shatnered is when you think you're out of the woods. And then he pulls he hits you in the face from left field with a William Shatner reference and you're not prepared enough to brace for it. That is being Shatnered. By Frank Morano. Oh, man. It's way too much, man, this idolatry. Anyway, he goes on to talk about more Star Trek, but in relationship to smoking. You know how much this is going to cost to increase in manufacturing and the prices we'll have to pay for things? Forget it. Well, I think I don't think the Spanish government would mind that, honestly. I think they would like a higher cost of a price of cigarettes because their thinking is that uh, it might lead less people to uh, to smoke. Uh-huh. By the way, um, one of the people that uh, that was a longtime smoker uh-huh. was Leonard Nimoy, who played uh, Spock on Star Trek, and ultimately he died from COPD, which he acquired from many years of smoking. Uh-huh. And someone that had tried to get Leonard Nimoy to stop smoking for years was William Shatner. Shoot, he got me. You'll hear my discussion <laughs> with William Shatner in about 10 minutes. Shatner it again. Shatner it again. You think he's going to make a good point? It starts off good, completely out of left field. Somehow he makes the whole thing about Shatner. That's that's called getting shattered by Frank, and I'm tired of it, Frank. 
Talk about somebody else. God, he slipped Shatner in no matter what the subject. He Shatnered me. <laughs> I mean, what did this had to do with smoking? Smoking in a, in a, a bill about smoking because the, the cigarette butts were everywhere, and it, it was a, a cleanup <laughs> bill about smoking. And then he somehow, I'm, talk, I'm talking about Shatner again. Gosh. And now, what are the three main things you would say, because you've been dissecting and bisecting 20 hours of Frank Morano every week for this special one-hour extravaganza that will give you a belly laugh, the funniest one hour in all of radio. What are the three main things would you say, Avery, that it's a guarantee that Frank Morano will talk about? Well, we just talked about the, we talked about the number one thing, William Shatner. <laughs> but separate from Shatner... Star Trek. Yes, yes, yes. And wrestling. Yep, 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 yep. I'm going to throw Exile as a distant third. <laughs> but Frank, he always claims to be heads and tails above everybody else in presidential trivia. Ah, uh, he loves presidential trivia. I have another thing to ask okay, you. Okay, lay it on me. He was the first president to have a picture taken at, at his inauguration, mm -hmm. who else was in that picture? <laughs> Ooh, that is a good question. This is going to be a total guess. I knew that first aspect of that. I'm going to say uh, that it was um, Hannibal Hamlin. No, John, <clears throat> John Wilkes Booth. No way. No way. No way. I saw the picture on TV. Uh, there is no way that, uh, that that happened, and I don't know that. There's no way. No way. There's no way that that John Wilkes Booth thing is happening. There's no way that there's a photograph of John Wilkes Booth at Lincoln's inauguration. No way. No way. No way. I, I think Janice might be mixing up a couple of different things, Yeah. but that did not happen. Uh-huh. If I don't know it, then there's no way it's possible. <laughs> the, the sun don't shine until I wake up. Well, it he, is, he had to get down to it. He was getting barraged with so many calls, Avery. And the, that, that whole, I, I looked it up, and I didn't even get through typing the whole question, and it all popped up for me. <laughs> she saw it on TV. This is the one of the most popular presidents of all time, Frank, and she saw it on a TV show. How do you not know something that somebody else saw on a TV show being the king of presidential trivia? God, so sad. So sad. So uh, did he end up giving an apology? I may owe Janice an apology. <laughs> I have never heard this. Okay. This, this is the only thing that gives me pause. I spend my leisure time looking at presidential trivia books. See? Okay. And I have never heard this once, which is why I was so floored. Okay. Um, a photograph from Lincoln's second inauguration, which purports to be a big photo of a big crowd. And it's Lincoln and several of the conspirators that are, that are seen. And um, apparently it does include Booth. So I may. I told you so. <laughs> I may owe uh, I may owe Janice an apology. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not only is it Booth, it's like all the conspirators like standing behind Lincoln shooting him the bird. <laughs> it's like some some famous picture. And Frank don't know about it. Everybody knows about it. It was on TV. Now now, now hold on a second. Uh, 
Broadway Billy, I want you to go back to the original Janice, where he insisted in no way, shape, or form did he. There's no way that Lincoln could have been standing there taking a picture with John Wilkes Booth. No way. I have another thing to ask you. Okay, I'll lay it on me. He was the first president to have a picture taken at at his inauguration. Mm Mm-hmm. Who else was in that picture? Ooh, that is a good question. This is going to be a total guess. I knew that first aspect of that. I'm going to say uh, that it was um, Hannibal Hamlin. Stop trying to show off. John John Wilkes Booth. No way. (laughs) No way. I saw the picture on TV. TV, TV, Curtis. There's no way that, uh, that that happened, and I don't know that. There's no way. No way. There's no way that that John Wilkes Booth thing is accurate. No way that there's a photograph of John Wilkes Booth at Lincoln's inauguration. No way. No way. No way. I I think Janice might be mixing up a couple of different things, but that did not happen. John Wilkes Booth is standing behind Lincoln making rabbit ears in the picture. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way. I would know that. This is Lincoln, not some little like, obscure president. This is Lincoln. So, How can you not know that? So Frank's phone just blew up, and then he had he had to give an apology. He had to admit that Janice was right. And this was after an hour of refusing to address the issue. He just couldn't go on any further with his program. Let me say hello to Mike. Hello, Mike, in New Rochelle. Yes, Frank. Name two presidents who served in the Army during World War II. Uh, who served in the Army specifically Correct. during World War II, not the, not the Navy. Well, Correct. so um, George H.W. Bush, right? No, he was in the Navy, Frank. George H.W. Bush was in the Navy? Okay, I thought uh, he was uh, a, a, a paratrooper. aviator. Oh, okay. All right. So let me, let me guess again then. Um, okay. Yeah, let's see. I know. All right, I'm going to say, um, are you, how about, I know Reagan had you kind of a unique military background. I'll say Reagan. That's one. One, and then the other one, I'm going to guess, uh, I'm going to guess that it was Jimmy Carter. Oh, no, he was named. Eisenhower. Eisenhower, oh, of course. Yes. Okay. Well, that's Eisenhower. a rookie mistake on my part, uh, Mike. I, I may have to uh, cash in my presidential uh Trivia, uh, you know, bona fides, if I couldn't come up with Eisenhower. Of course it was Eisenhower. God, he's like... It's, it's only one of, the great, one of the greatest military minds of our time. And I, the, first, the first president, I would guess, if he was in the Army, is Eisenhower. How do you not get Eisenhower? <laughs> these are, these are like, like iconic, iconic people, and, and these are the ones you're missing. Well, he prides himself on being a presidential uh, trivia buff. But did you hear how he dances too with the boop booty boop 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 trying to trying to stretch time? <laughs> he, like, he reminds me of one of those kids in the spelling bee who don't know the word, so they ask for the definition, they ask for the root word, they just keep trying to buy time, and, th- and then they give you all the information that you didn't ask for. Oh, uh, uh, Navy, no Army, Marine, no no Army, Army Frank, Army. <laughs> well, now I want you, uh, Broadway Billy. Please go back one to where Janice is entitled to an apology, because remember he lambasted her so negatively. See if you can give that a whirl. I may owe Janice an apology. <laughs> <laughs>
I have never heard this. Okay, this, this is the only thing that gives me pause. I spend my leisure time looking at leisure. presidential tribute books. Okay, and I have never heard this once, which is why I was so floored. Okay, um, a photograph from Lincoln's second inauguration, which purports to be a big photo of a big crowd. And it's Lincoln and several of the conspirators several, that are, several that of are them. seen. And um, <laughs> apparently it does include Booth. So I may I may owe uh, I may owe Janice an apology here. Well, one of them one of them got Booth on his shoulders and Booth's trying to shoot him right there. <laughs> and, and the other one is mooning him. The other one's mooning at Lincoln, and then one of them got booted on his shoulders trying to shoot Lincoln. And Frank has never heard of this picture. <laughs> he reads presidential trivia books in his spare time. Another odd, another odd thing that to admit. That's that's his that's his comeback. Oh God! I I, I I read presidential trivia books in my spare time. That makes you look worse, Frank, not better. Just, you know, just you know, that makes you look worse. <laughs> Oh God! Oh wait, wait, wait! Then, then, oh man! Then he gets deeper into this presidential trivia thing, and he can't—he just can't answer the questions. What two presidents had the letter X in their name? Okay, uh, middle, first, last. Stalin. Any, any part of their name? Any with the part letter of their X. name? Okay. Any, any, any president with the letter X? Uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> How many are there? There are two. Two. Uh, okay, give me a second here. Uh, no, 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 no. Boop, 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 boop. I'm at a loss, I think, on this one. <laughs> uh, I, unless you give me a hint, um, you know, I, I am at a loss. All right. Uh, one was a 20th century president. One was a 19th century president. Okay, uh, so the 20th century president was... Look how excited he is. Was, Look how excited um, he is. And he still don't know. I don't remember Coolidge's middle name. Was it Coolidge? Uh, no, no. All right, could, so I'm not going to get it. Just tell me. Any name. Uh, Richard Nixon. Oh, and Nixon, James, of course. James Knox Polk. James Knox Polk, who we were just talking about. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. clearly this is not my night. <laughs> you know, how do you not get Nixon? Like, if, like if, if you turn the volume all the way down, you can hear all his listeners screaming, It's Nixon, you moron! It's Nixon! <laughs> How do you not get there? another oh. iconic president, infamous oh, president, God. with X in his name? You read presidential trivia books in your spare time, <laughs> and you can't drum up Nixon? Look, Nixon? Look, 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 he said, it's not his night. It's not his night, Avery. Nixon? Oh, it's Nixon, you moron. He didn't get any of those presidential trivia questions right. Not one of them. It's Nixon. Come on, man. Say Nixon. Everybody, just, all those listeners just listening. Nixon. Nixon. Oh, uh, anyway, uh, then he talked about having to lift up and go, leave his precious nationally syndicated program, hopefully in good hands, because he's got a bachelor party to attend. Oh, a bachelor party, Frank. Oh, boy. I was talking with uh, my friend Dominic Carter about this before the show. <laughs> and we were talking about filling in for people. And you know, he's a talk show host at WABC in New York for people listening around the country. And we're talking about filling in for people. And oh, he had to fill in for me once. And he said, well, you know, the thing with you is you rarely take a, a day off. What? What? And uh, 
I said, yeah, I don't really have. I mean, if I have something to do, I'm taking a day off in April to go to a a bachelor party, which just uh, is still just staggering to me. I don't know oh. how people do this to their friends, make them travel to another city, oh, man, go to all tough. this expense. Why? To celebrate the end of your bachelorette? I just, again, this is a close friend, and uh, um, if he wants to do this, then so be it. Just, I wouldn't do this to people. Hey, Frank, I'm sorry. And the Oscar goes to not not you. Uh. <laughs> oh, this bachelor party. Oh, oh God. God. All the expense. To put, oh, it's going to be so debaucherous. It's going to be in a whole nother state. <laughs> Why do people still do this archaic? Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I guess so be it. I guess yeah. if I have to go, yeah, yeah. if I have to go, I'll go. Can I get 10000 at once, please? <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop by the bank first. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, people still do that. Oh, oh my God. Mama Luke. Oh, strippers and breast in my face. And, oh, who needs that? Oh. Yeah, he'll be getting a lap dance and a brumsky simultaneously. Oh, oh my and, goodness. And probably reading while he's doing that. Uh, no, no, I'm going to give it to the little Frankster. I think he's going to go. He's going to go hard. Oh, man. Well, let's go to Michael in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yeah, Curtis, this is just unbelievable radio right here with you and Avery. The best hour ever. The funniest hour, um, just talking about the insanity of Frank Morano. And I, I mean that in a good way, because I do like listening to him. But the things that he says are just, it, it's, it's insane. The other night he said he was a better interviewer than Barbara uh, Walters. Did you hear that one? No, no. Uh, I did Avery not hear that one. That on, uh, I, I, look, look, I, I, I heard the following. I heard him say he was better than Howard Stern. You heard that one, right? I did hear that. Yeah. Then said he was better than Rush Limbaugh, right? <laughs> yeah. And then said, you know, he's different because he can lead a normal life and nobody will identify him, and that makes him a better talk show host. Oh, God. And strippers, I guess. I guess I'll go see some strippers. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Check this out on the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I have one thing to say. You better work.
can't pump up the volume. Three snaps up. Every time you hear this RuPaul song, the Runway song, you got to think of George Santos, who for three years was competing with every conceivable drag queen contest, hoping to be elevated to uh, Miss Rio de Janeiro of the annual Carnival, which has attracted five million people to the streets of Rio de Janeiro. How do I know? I've got guardian angels there, and I have seen the Carnival there. And I must tell you, it's uh, it's stuff that, as a reporter, you want to be able to cover up, uh, cover up live and personally by being out there with the masses. But uh, oh boy, we had uh, our uh, four to five o'clock show. Come on, Rob Astorino, and he had an exclusive interview with uh, a man who was pushing the limits of decency of truthfulness, of respect throughout the uh, throughout the United States. And you know who that is. That's George Santos. Well, I want you to listen to this interview that was conducted by Rob Astorino earlier today as uh, he had what I call RuPaul, a.k.a. Rand Paul, a.k.a., well... He says it all right here, George Santos. I just want to say to you, so tell me, of all the things that have been said about you, and there's so much, what are the ones that are so egregiously wrong? You've admitted some of the things about education and you've admitted about employment, but what are the, some of the things that have come out against you recently that is completely and utterly false? Well, you know, Rob, there's just this pylon effect. All these people coming out of the woodworks that I haven't seen in 10, 15 years and that I had minor interactions with in my life saying that I, I stole a scarf. That's utterly false. <laughs> oh, that I, def- that I stole $30,000 from them. That's utterly false. I mean, and from, from the litany of garbage that's out there, right, if I were this career criminal, just follow this thought pattern with me. If I, George Sanchez, was this career abominable criminal, how is it that I managed to, to deceive dozens of people and not one of them who don't know each other never went to the police, never filed a report, never sued me? What, what world are we living in that I'm this mastermind that I'm able to, to evade the law 
and stay out of trouble. So that, that just comes to show that it's just people looking for their pound of flesh, 15 minutes of fame. Another thing that people are, are going after me, and I'm, I'm very excited for this one, is people are trying to tell me what my heritage is, where my grandparents come from, based on, oh, your, your grandparents, we found proof that they were born in Brazil. Well, I can show you a lot of other Jews who show they were born where they weren't because of the shift of the war. So that's one, Rob, that when I'm ready to, you know, I get all my ducks in a row and I come out in the media, there's going to be a lot of people who are, I'm going to straight out call and say, You're, you've displayed the act of anti-Semitism greater than I've ever seen before. You told a grandson of, of, of a Jew that he is not Jewish. So I'm looking forward to these things, not 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 for the gotcha or the touche moment, but more so so people can see that the media doesn't always get it right. Matter of fact, they mostly get it wrong. Congressman George Santos with us on 77 WABC. So, look, I'm not going to defend some of the things that you said, which were a lie or wrong or embellishment. Um, but. The reason why neither am I, Rob. Yeah, no, that's good. Neither I'm glad. You know what? And and look, take this time right now because I know I saw the interview with Tulsi Gabbard on Fox. That to me, that was just a complete hit job. You know, they, they, she really didn't allow you to say what you wanted to say or do what you wanted to do. She wanted to make news, and she did. You know, and my goal here is just to get you to say directly to people listening right now on 77 WABC. You know, this is your point. Say what you did wrong, and, and let's get over this. And the reason why I have defended you, not, not the, the lies or anything, the reason why I've defended you is because it really does go one way. And ultimately, in two years, you're going to be judged. You're either going to be thrown out by the voters or not. And by the way, the things that you said which were untrue, if they had known that during the campaign, they still might have voted for you because – as you know, elections swing in different directions based on the economy, based on big national issues, those kind of things. So I'm not convinced that you would have that the election would have changed dramatically if you didn't say any of this or if you did and you got caught. I don't know. But ultimately, two years from now, the voters in Nassau County and in parts of Queens are going to decide your fate. Um, so tell me right now some of the things that you really deeply apologize for that you were really wrong on. Well, look, I, I, I've done this before, and, and I'll continue to do it as many times as I need to. The education stuff, I, I look, there's no excuses for it. I, it's an insecurity. It's, some, it's an opportunity I never had to finish. And then life just started working out well for me, and I didn't think I needed it. But there was always that insecurity, and I, 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 I ran with, the store, with, with that decision. It was a bad decision. I don't encourage anybody to do it. Uh, but the reality is, is, is it's stupid. It was stupid, stupid, stupid infantile decision to make. Uh, it doesn't change the merits of who I am and what I've, I've accomplished in my life. I, I remain committed to reminding people, look at where I came from, look at where I, look at what I went through and look at where I've come. And that continues to inspire people because regardless of what you want to say, yes, I did not graduate college because I couldn't afford it or life got ca I got caught up with life and, you know, one thing led to another. And I made it and I still was able to become a successful uh, business person. I was still able to 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 to, to engage in 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 my career. And uh, look, Rob, uh, 
you've run for office before. You you were a county executive. You're a very successful man. And we can have this conversation until we're blue in the face. Most people won't understand the hierarchy of how the GOP apparatus works locally in New York State. And, and this isn't a slide at any of the GOP party chairs. It's just a fact, right? They judge you on these things. And, you know, I, I made a bad call, bad judgment call. Good. Period. Stop. That's it. Okay. Now, I'm concerned that the FEC and more more importantly, the Department of Justice is going to utilize their powers in ways that they will not go after other people like Democrats, but will go after people like you because especially it's such a thin majority right now in the House of Representatives. Are you concerned that justice is going to come after you? I mean, they, look, they can indict anybody in the world, right, on anything. And now that you've given them a nibble, do you think they're going to try to go the distance against you? Look, as far as FEC stuff remain uh, a subject, I have I, – I don't even understand the filing process of the FEC. That's why you hire a fiduciary. Now – that's the Elections Commission, po- by the way, for people who don't know what FEC is. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So as far as that goes, I'm not throwing my former treasurer under the bus either because I don't know that whatever issues people and the news is trying to turn up. Because, look, for instance, this week there was an article by, uh, if I'm not mistaken, political saying George Santos has $365,000 missing. And then when you go into the article and you read it, they're talking about filings that were done and then later amended to, to reflect the you know, errors that probably my, my fiduciary and my treasurer saw. I was like, oh, mistake there. So now they're trying to say at one point, three, a total of $365,000 were unaccounted for, and then they were amended. These are procedural stuff that, from what I understand – most politicians and most of their campaign uh, filings go through these motions of having amendments. And I'm just being scrutinized because it's me. You know, I've never seen something so sensationalized in my life. And I've seen politics sensationalized in the world from Brazil to Europe to, to, to the U.S. And holy cow, they've given a member of Congress a little dot on the map more airtime than the president of the United States for the course of 60 days. It was eight straight weeks. I was trending higher than the president of the United States. And that's just bizarre. The fact that the resources that they poured just to turn over and come up with whatever they wanted to. And the crazy part about of it is, Rob, the amount of people they interviewed that had nothing but good things to say about me that refuted a lot of the allegations about these other people people who I haven't seen in over a decade, they decided not to go with it. They ran with the bad stories, but they wouldn't go with the good stories. Another story that drives me crazy is this veteran accusing me of stealing money from his dog. First of all, anybody who knows me knows that I would never I would never hurt a veteran, let alone a dying dog. The guy admitted on television he never met me, and yet he knows it's me. He just knows it's me. Like, are you serious? Is this the world we're living in? <laughs> no, and it is the world we're living in. That's why I wanted to give you a chance to to rebut some of this stuff because I look, I've been falsely accused and charged in my career, and it's, you know, it obviously it hurts, it distracts, you have to deal with it, and um, and it takes away a piece of your um, credibility, and and it, so I understand. I mean, look, I, you said it earlier, and I have said it many times. The things you did wrong are wrong, okay? But some of this stuff 
needs to be clarified because it's just not true. Um, how are you dealing with your colleagues right now? So you, you, the, what's the dynamics like in, in the House of Representatives as you're dealing with New York colleagues, but also, you know, Kevin McCarthy and others? So I have three colleagues in the New York delegation or oh, four colleagues, pardon me, and, and the rest is the rest. Uh, and I keep that very it's very honest and open and transparent. You know, there's some folks who are trying to become relevant off of badgering me and off of, uh, you know, nailing me down to a cross. That's their prerogative. Uh, I think that's just going to backfire for them eventually, because here's the reality, Rob. I pray for each and every one of them to have the same grounded mentality and the same strength I have displayed throughout this process when the media comes for them, because it's a matter of time. You mentioned it earlier. We're in such a slim majority that they are going to nitpick us all apart. They are already trying. The media is already going other after other freshman members of Congress around the country. So this is a matter of time before, hey, it's somebody in New York. And I, I genuinely pray that they have the same strength and that they're able to withstand what I have, because it is absolutely insane that I'm sitting in a Republican majority and these people are coming after me as if I were their enemy. Right. But here's here's the good part about this. This thing is that we're 222 members of the Republican Party and I have a problem with six or seven of them, eight, if, you know, off the top of my head. I've been co-sponsoring. I'm over a dozen bills co-sponsored. I have already signed on to another dozen that still hasn't updated in the system. I'm putting out two original pieces of legislation. I'm very proud of the, the bill that I co-sponsored with Virginia Fox. It's an it's a opportunity for employment and education bill. I'm very proud of the co-sponsored bill that I did with Congressman Corey Mills from Florida's 7th District on removing pornography and sexual content from the uh, educational material and books for children. These are things that I promised that I would do, that I campaigned that I would do, and I'm delivering on every single one of my campaign promises. I'm scoring and ranking now amongst the top 20 most conservative members of Congress in the 2000 in the 218th Congress. So this is what you can expect from George Santos. I'm going to keep every single promise I made in my campaign and more, and I'm going to deliver what I said. The voters voted on a Biden 10 seat. They voted for me by almost 9%. That is a 19-point swing. They vehemently regret and reject their vote of Joe Biden in 2020, and this was a course correction what, in which midterm elections were designed to do. I'm going to correct that course, and I'm going to stand up to Joe Biden's agenda every single day. So George Soros, George Soros, oh my God, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. George Not Santos. The first time I've heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you talk about evil. That's George Soros. Yeah, so the New York Times is. just breaking right now. They, they had spoken to a former classmate of yours in third grade, and apparently she's claiming that you cut the line going to lunch. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, that's what be. That's going to come out. You know, there's going to be a story like that at some point because they're just going to be like, "What else can we do or say?" I, I got to tell you, I haven't seen a single person that I went to school with between K and four because we moved around so much. I, I went to a school in uh, in Astoria in Queens, uh, K through four. I was actually talking about this yesterday over dinner with some friends who coincidentally also went to the same school. 
Um, but I haven't been in touch with any of the people there. I don't even think they would know who I am. I don't remember who any of them <laughs> they are. So that that would be a story I'd look forward to seeing. George Santos cuts line. Uh, maybe <laughs> sure. I'll, I'm not going to deny that one, Rob. I was a fat I'll, kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to admit that right now. I did that at Lincoln Titus Elementary in Cortland. I think I did cut the line a couple of times. Um, yeah, last question kid. for I you. My food. <laughs> Point blank. Are you are you going to run in two years or not? The Nassau GOP uh, obviously is coming out against you. That could change. Who knows? But you're probably going to have a primary, I'm assuming. Are you? Uh, is your intention right now to run? Rob, let me make this very clear. Um, when I engage in this process, I was very clear from the beginning. I serve at the pleasure of the people, not at the pleasure of party bosses. The best thing that ever can happen to a politician, and I'm not asking you to agree with me on this, but is for the party to do what Nassau County did to me. They set me free of having to kowtow to their agenda, to have to go to their rubber chicken dinners, to have to do what they want. I am not a puppet. I am not controlled by party bosses. Never was. And that was always the problem where there was a little bit of resentment about me. Nobody thought I could win this seat. And I want it better than the party favorites with bigger margins than all of the party favorites. So the reality is, is I don't know that yet. Not because of this. I've always said that I'd make that decision six months into the job. And I will make that decision six months into the job. As of now, I, I will be declaring my candidacy for FEC purposes because you just, you know, if you're going to continue to raise money, you have to. So I will do that. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I don't run again and I I, I don't know. I don't know. But the reality is I really just don't know. Well, you know what? You don't know what the reality is going to be in a year and a half or what the climate politically is going to be, and who knows. But I'll leave you with and this. And I'll say this. Yeah. Uh, before I, before we, we cut, I'll say this. I like primaries. I've never had the ability to be in a primary, but I would invite a primary. And look, there are some folks out there that are saying they're going to run for this seat that I respect a lot. Maybe I'll just like, you know what? I like you so much. You can have it. But there's some folks out there that I'll be damned if I step aside. There's people out there that will never be members of Congress, specifically a, 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 a snake that sits in the state Senate that has no business being a Republican. But that's just my opinion, you know, not not to say anything else. Well, George, uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. You know, I know it's it's not the f- most fun thing to talk about, but uh, I, I want to give everybody the right to to hear you directly. And, um, and, you know, people should think about this. Who did a worse thing, George Santos or Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell? You think about that for a second, okay, just to put it into context. All right, George, good luck with everything, all right? Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, Rob. You have a great day. That was Rob Asherino, who you you can hear on Saturdays from 4 to 5, right before Vinnie Mendugno and right after Left versus Right. When I take on uh, Anthony Weiner, that was his interview earlier in the day with uh, Udiscraziata, the drag queen George Santos. And what is so interesting is that whereas George Santos ran against Tom Swazi during the presidential year and got beat but did fairly well, that running the second time, you would have assumed that the party apparatus would have been lock, stock, and barrel in support of George Santos, and apparently they weren't. And the reason I know that is that the party machinery in Nassau County, the GOP, approached me to have a lunch with them about the possibility of encouraging me to run for that third congressional district, which had been vacated by Swazi as he attempted to oust 
the sitting governor at that time, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, in the primary. Uh, it was Tom Swazi who went to the right. It was the public advocate of the city of New York who went to the left. And it was uh, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb who held down the middle. Now, she won the Democratic primary convincingly, but as a result, Tom Swazi gave up the seat. So the Nassau County leadership approached me, uh, oh, about uh, seven, eight months after I had lost in the mayoral general election, Eric Adams. And they asked me would I be interested in running in the 3rd Congressional District. At that time, it had been redistricted, and about 10% of the district was in Queens, Whitestone, and the rest was the North Shore involving Nassau and Suffolk County. You go from Great Neck all the way out towards the Long Island Sound. And I said to them, why, why would you be interested in replacing George Santos or at least having a primary against George Santos? He did a fairly good job running the first time against Swazi, and I couldn't get a straight answer. So I told them after a very pleasant lunch that I just was not interested in being a carpetbagger now. At that same moment, unbeknownst to me, simultaneously, the state party chairman, Langworthy, who is now the congressman representing uh, the west uh, western portion of New York State, up in the Erie County area, uh, that Lockport area, that uh, Cheektowaga, Tonawanga, that whole area, the suburban area outside of Buffalo, uh, he was running against Carl Palladino. Uh, and luckily he won that because you could have imagined if crazy Carl Palladino had won the Republican primary and went on to win the general election. Oh, my God. Uh, it would have been every day it would have been the image of Carl Palladino, Marjorie Taylor, and then, of course, uh, George Santos. That would have been like the three stooges of the Republican Party. So Langworthy beat Carl Palladino in the primary. And they went on to win the general election, and they're awaiting uh, a meeting of the New York State uh, GOP to determine a new state party chairman to replace Langworthy, who is the titular head of it. Now, what I meant was, at that particular time, Langworthy, as state chairman, had a sit-down with Andrew Giuliani, who then was in the Republican primary trying to beat uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, who you heard that interview, uh, gave that interview to uh, George Santos, and a guy named Harry Wilson. And Andrew wasn't interested, but they wanted him to run for the 3rd Congressional District and, if necessary, primary George Santos. And he said he wasn't interested. He wanted to uh, run for the governorship. You can imagine if either one of us, whether Andrew Giuliani, who co-hosts the morning show from time to time, Fred, excuse me, uh, Sid Rosenberg and friends, and yours truly, if I had decided to run in the uh, third congressional district in the Republican primary, there's no way George Santos could have beaten uh, either Andrew Giuliani in a primary or myself. History would have been so different. That's not the way it turned out to be. Anyway, that was the interview done by Rob Astorino earlier on Saturday. You can hear Rob Astorino, former Westchester County executive, former gubernatorial uh, candidate of the GOP, first against Andrew Evelice Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta, Cuomo, King Cuomo I, and then uh, recently in the Republican primary where he was competing against Harry Wilson, uh, Andrew Giuliani, and Congressman Lee Zeldin. Up next, we got to talk about the Rock'em Sock'em uh, almost near riot that took place 
when the Rev and the Rabbi conducted a symposium at, um, oh, man, what was that called? Uh, the Sheen Center downtown. I thought I was invited, but apparently I was disinvited or uninvited or thought to be a person of no consequence, even though on the weekends, oftentimes, WABC, if you look at the acronym, stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. I'll give you the blow-by-blow description of how by Rabbi Joe Potasnik and the Rev tried to oust 20 protesters. Imagine, there were 20 protesters there against Rabbi Joe Potasnik and the Rev. What could they have said that triggered off the 20 people to want to burn the mother down? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. little less than an hour and a half, you will have the two protagonists of what was supposed to be a symposium sponsored by uh, our parent company, Red Apple Media, down at the um, Sheen Center, downtown Manhattan, hosted by Rabbi Joe Potasnik. He is the longest uh, speaking and serving talk show host in the history of WABC Talk Radio. He was there from the very day they spun the stacks of wax for the last time in the age of Cousin Boosie, and then we went all talk all the time. And Rabbi Joe has been with us every step of the way. Every weekend he has appeared on this station. 
He has had a series of partners of late. His partner is the Rev from the Christian Cultural Center, which is the mega church that is out on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue and uh, Flatlands Avenue. Originally, it was a series of chop shops and junkyards run by the Lucchese's and the Gambinos. Bulldoze Dover, Starrett City went up. A lot of Russian immigrants moved in there. And then the grounds were prepared for the megachurch of the Rev, who has joined the rabbi in this uh, once-a-week broadcast on Sundays here in just about one and a half hours on WABC. And so they got up, they gave their spiels, and then all of a sudden it was time to interact with the audience. And the audience, uh, well, the audience had some of their own uh, protestations to talk about, in which they were talking about this is a form of free speech, right? Whatever it is that's on your mind. And I must tell you, at a certain juncture, uh, the mayor of the city of New York had arrived. Curtis Lee was not invited, but the mayor of the city of New York was invited, and he got up on the podium, and he was being uh, asked softball questions by the Rev and the Rabbi. In fact, I guess I would equate them, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, if you had a Louisville slugger, imagine somebody soft-serving you a 13-inch clincher underhand pitching or serving you a beach ball that you had hit out of the ballpark. That was the whole a softball approach that both uh, Rabbi Joe Potashnik and uh, uh, his uh, associate, the Rev, took towards uh, even uh, condemning the mayor for some of the things he said or sort of a slow approval given to the mayor because of the attitude that he brought to that symposium, especially his uh, deputy mayor for public safety, Philip Banks, who did not uh, do well in terms of engaging the media and asking and answering their questions uh, expeditiously. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Tony, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Yes, sir. Listen, Curtis, uh, I have never said this to you about you, but I have to say it tonight. I've been following you for a long, long time. And uh, let me tell you, to do radio is not easy. It's easy to sit down behind the microphone and talk and do commercials and this and that. But you, you've been doing this for a long time, always at the top, and God bless you. Thank you. You always had the best. And let me tell you, I know radio. <clears throat> I had no light in Puerto Rico. And my first radio, you know what is a magic marker? No, what's that, magic marker? Magic, you know, magic marker, right? Yes, I yes, I used yes. to do in a supermarket, yes, right? Yes, yes. It's like a big pencil, right? Okay. In one top, you have a wire with a pinch, and at the other side, you have a little button. And only uh, to put in your ear, and you pinch it against a, a hanger, and you can listen to a few stations. Then a little bit more until I bought my transistor radio. I love radio. I I think I was born for that, but that's another story. And I am old, and radio is the best. And you know what? 
we're going to go, me mm. and you, mm. one of these days. But they all we're going to remember Curtis Liu. And I'm serious about this. You're the best. Well, thank you. I follow you since you was with the first, uh, well, before you were <laughs> beaten by the, by the mafia. <laughs> so I know you since you was very young. <laughs> oh, wow, man. Tony's, Tony's been with us uh, a month of Sundays here at WABC. And now let's get into the nitty-gritty. I was not given an opportunity to attend that symposium. And uh, you had uh, the Rev, who's a Pentecostal, and Rabbi Joe Potasnik, who is Reformed. But there was no uh, representation of R.C., real Christians, uh, better known as Roman Catholics. Who bogarted me? Well, he did so on the grounds that he had graduated the uh, private uh, Catholic high school that I did not graduate from because I got kicked out of my senior year. Who was that? That was former Congressman Peter King. He said, oh, I graduated at school. You did not. So he bogarted me with both the reverend and the rep. And he went down there and he uh, couldn't be more pleasing and pleasant and polite to the two hosts, the Rev and the Rabbi, they were a bit confused as to, I mean, he was so nice, he would have given a diabetic insulin shock right there and then. There's no doubt about it. But we didn't want to just clean the deck. And uh, it's the way they proceeded there at the Sheen Center. And I said to myself, the Sheen Center, I thought back to myself. Slowly I turned step by step. What kind of Sheen Center is this? Was this named after the Bishop Fulton Sheen? You remember in the 50s within the Roman Catholic Church, he was considered even more popular than the popes. Uh, Excuse me, not the popes, but the cardinals who had served the popes in the Vatican. In fact, he was at odds with Cardinal Spellman in the Archdiocese of New York. He was aware that oftentimes... Uh, men of great prestige would enter, enter the rectory there off of uh, Avenue of the Americas. And you know what they would do, uh, Broadway Bill Lee? They would do a George Santos. That's right, they were dressed up as drag queens. J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI and Cardinal Spellman, and they would be frolicking around dressed as women in the rectory of St. Patrick's Cathedral. There's no denying that. There is a documentary evidence as to uh, how uh, J. Edgar Hoover loved the feel of a nice dress along his legs, loved the feel of nylon stockings, and always made sure that his pair did not have a run in it. That's pretty slick. And there are legions of stories about that. But I was not permitted to attend and represent the Roman Catholic Church. I was considered an AMP Catholic, ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. And I accepted that my the surrogate would be former Congressman Peter King. But as you know, he has become a, such a lackey of late. I call him the Eric Adams Republican, and he has earned that tenfold over. So... Uh, Halfway through this symposium, you had Rabbi Joe Potashnik in one corner. You had uh, the Rev in the other corner. 
You did not have the construction of an indoor facility, as will be taking place soon after the ballots are collected. Hmm. Interesting. Because within the well of the body, there were members of the old acorn. And remember... John and Margot Katsimatidis has established WABC as Free Speech Radio. I want you to listen to this exclusive audio. The Reverend and the Rabbi are aware that, well, they're not aware that I have purloined this, this audio from our weekend producer, Kevin Joyce, as he was attempting to uh, extricate it from the body of the report. But, oh, no. I want you to hear what uh, the Reverend the Rabbi did to the remnants of the old acorn of Bertha Lewis. They were there protesting against the mayor, claiming he has no plan to provide alternative housing and space to those who have nowhere to live other than a no-tell motel Holiday Inn Express, 82 of them, which is being funded by the taxpayers now. So please... uh, uh, let's hear the raucous engagement of the protesters inside of the symposium being hosted by Rabbi Joe Potasnik, the Rev, and their guest up on stage as they conducted his inquisition, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. The mayor, the mayor just said that this is one of his biggest fans. <laughs> You have, you have in the city around eight people who move around and just do this. Yeah. See, we've got to consensus here. You know that? And they're, they're, they're professionals about, they just want to disrupt whatever people do. They don't, they don't, they don't want to hear, they don't want to listen. Their goal is, I want to go in. And I want to disrupt you. <laughs> you know what? I, I will up, tell you what. Good to see you, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> let up, let up, let up. All right. So as 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 they as they exit and we recover, right? At least we know why we sold out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Stop. See, see now, now, if we were in my church, they'd be out of there. That's the difference. Put the lights on and just get them out. <laughs> so, so, before we sidetrack all this completely, <laughs> no, no, no. The team, will, the team will handle it. Don't let them disrupt it. Yeah. That, wait, wait. That, that, door, that door is an exit. That door is an exit. Feel free to use that. Right. Where's, um, Where's Curtis Sliwa when you need him? Tell our team to show our folks the door. Yeah. We put the lights on over so, here. So wait, wait. At, at least we know why we sold out. 
We understand why we sold out. So <laughs> this and, and, and this is a great you're not interesting. You're not interested in finding a solution. Yeah. You're, you're part of the problem, not the solution. Why don't you listen? So this is how this is how we don't get things done. This is how we continue the divide. This is how we solve the problem. Progress. This is how we do it. Mary Lou, you have a security. Put the light on. Put the light on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get him out. How much time do we have left for this segment? One minute? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. And see, this is the, this is what. Yeah. Mr. Mayor, you know what? Respond. Yeah. This is the beauty of there, there's a body and there's an energy who the loudest, not the majority. Right. They're the loudest and their processes, which is going to disrupt you. And as you heard, they did. And I want to hear the explanation of Rabbi Joe Batasnik and the Rev coming up their weekly program at 7 o'clock, 7 8. As to why, uh, why Broadway Billy, I was not permitted to be at that symposium at the Sheen Center. You saw that the mayor was flummoxed on the stage. And you saw that the Rev and the rabbi were asking him softball questions when immediately it elicited from the audience a negative response from members of the old acorn led by Bertha Lewis. They were loud. They were aggressive. They were proud. They were shouting down the mayor who was just, who was just, his spiel of propaganda was too much for them to take. Twenty of them were removed from the audience and extricated into the streets. It was the final action of Bernard Adams, who is the head of the mayor's intel, his NYPD security force. There were a lot of questions as to why they were removed from that audience. Free speech should have uh, been persevered. Free speech did not exist when they were removed from that audience. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They should have been allowed their First Amendment right of free speech. They should have been permitted to come to the microphone, chastise the mayor, ask critical questions of the rabbi and the rabbi, but they were not. And that's not what a symposium is supposed to be about. By the way, it took place at the Sheen Center. I thought, what was that, named after Martin Sheen, the liberational theologist, or was it his son, Charlie Sheen, the crackhead and the meth head? Who was that named after, the Sheen Center? Couldn't get an answer to that question. Oh, yeah. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When we come back... We'll attempt to uh, look at the nuances of what transpired when the delegates on both sides of the aisle, the Republican aisle and the Democratic aisle, began to fornicate one another and then began to swing and wing at one another and the Board of Elections got involved. I'll tell you what the results were. Don't go anywhere. Boy, there was a hot time on the other side of midnight. Right after we uh, cherry-picked this uh, off of the broadcast of uh, 
We'll call them the Bella Broadways. The Bella Broadways. Sounds like it could be a new macaroni. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. We began this show at 12 midnight. We took you to the break of dawn, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, as we do Saturday mornings, 12 to 6. And that um, police action taken against demonstrators exercising their First Amendment right of free speech to contraire, to go au contraire to what the reverend, the rabbi, and the mayor of the city of New York was saying up on the big stage. They were extricated from the uh, auditorium and booted to the streets by the security officers of the NYPD. And as I said, that was the last action of Bernard, younger brother of uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. And uh, in fact, he resigned his position thereafter. He was earning $1 a year. Originally hired by the mayor to be his deputy police commissioner. That was shot down. And then he uh, said, no, 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 I'll just be his aide-de-camp. I'll just look after his security detail. Uh, the mayor was satisfied with that. But I really think he should do a complete extrication uh, totally. Just extricate him. Anyway, let's go to uh, the phones uh, to Robert, who's calling from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bobby. Hey, I heard your name come up. Eric Adams said it. How and why did that happen? Well, uh, if you uh, can go back and find uh, that portion where the uh, crowd had become so belligerent, uh, so boisterous. Now, imagine, here's Eric Adams there. He's got 10 security officers from the NYPD. In fact, even his uh, younger brother, Bernard, who has left the ranks of his intel division as of this weekend, and so he had more than enough people to deal with it, but he was lackadaisical. He was taking his sweet-ass time. And, in fact, uh, Rabbi Joe Potashnik, uh and the Rev were complaining, like, you got the security, get rid of these folks. And, meantime, they were just interested, interested in trying to corral them, but not necessarily answer what the uh, suggestions of ACORN were. I follow that organization uh, in many, many communities across America, and they were treated very poorly, I can tell you that. Did Adam say we need Curtis Sliwa? Yeah, pretty sure. Hold on. Let's see. Oh, you don't have it. Oh, you don't have it. Broadway Billy. No, no, yeah, that that was the rabbi, but can we play that portion? Can we play that portion? Yeah, try to get to it. All right, please, try to get that before the uh, end of the program. Let's go, if we can, to Gary, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Uh, yes, thank you, Curtis. Uh, how, how could you run in uh, the district of George Santos if you live in the Upper West Side? Because uh, of the redistricting. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. I'll answer that question momentarily. 
Stop. And she, you know, now if we were in my church, they'd be out on it. That's the difference. Put the lights on and get them out. So, so before we sidetrack all this completely. Shameful. The team, will, the team will handle it. Don't let them disrupt it. Where's... Shameful. Yeah. Mayor is laughing at them. That, wait, wait. That, that, door, that door is an exit. That door is an exit. Feel free to use that. Right. Where's, um, where's Curtis Sleewell when you meet him? Still out team. Yeah, would uh, would Jesus have thrown those demonstrators out into the street? The answer is no, Gary. Absolutely not. But anyway, to your question uh, about uh, me running in the third district, when you do redistricting, you have an opportunity to run in a district, and if you happen to win, then you would have to move into the district before you were sworn into office. So uh, this was a uh, year of redistricting. The districts were toyed around with. But, oh, boy, what I just heard at the Sheen Center, and, again, not named after uh, Charlie Sheen, the crackhead, or his daddy, uh, Martin Sheen, the liberational theologist, or even Bishop Fulton Sheen, who had taken on uh, Cardinal Spellman, and rightfully so. I really want to hear them. I want to hear their justification. Like uh, little giddy uh, school kids up on the stage, it seemed that uh, they were in harmony and solidarity. To look at the mayor who was attempting to use his force of uh, his force of uh, department to then try to uh, get those demonstrators of Acorn out into the streets, of uh, Bertha Lewis out into the streets. I thought they provided a good civics uh, class for Eric Adams, who's not used to being publicly criticized. They usually put him before very organized events where he's not expected to have to go into intricate detail or the facts versus the emotion. Oh, yeah, sounded good there. Got to tell you, Broadway Billy. But coming up this week, I believe uh, there'll be a one-day recoup period by um, our own uh, Brian Kilmeade. So stay tuned for that because uh, I'm going to have to work with you, Billy, on that. Make sure it's a smooth transition. And know that I fight for right. I don't buck. I don't bow. I don't retreat. I don't surrender. Not to Republicans, not to Democrats. And nor will I do so to a... um, a seminar there that was attempting to impede on free speech and then Peter King <coughs> kissing the tokus of Eric Adams. Shameful Peter King. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 